is Friday, the 11th of August, the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi. Let's pray for her help today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for all poor Clare nuns, that they may live in joyful fidelity to the heritage of St. Clair. We pray for all members of the Catholic Worker Movement, that they bear witness to the joy of living among the poor for the sake of the gospel. We pray for all who suffer deprivation and want, that they may discover in their pain the presence of Christ crucified. We pray for all who lead a life of penance, that their purity of heart may shine as a light for all around them. Loving and merciful Father, who grant favors to all who seek you, through the intercession of the Virgin St. Clair, may we draw ever closer to you in poverty of spirit and joy of life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Clair of Assisi, pray for us. And while we're on the topic, a happy feast day to the poor Clares of Perpetual Adoration in uh, Alabama at EWTN headquarters. And uh, I sometimes refer to that as the mothership, right? Because it's where Mother Angelica uh, had her whole base of operations. Continues even in her absence. And since she's passed on to her reward, pray a special prayer for her and the repose of her soul today as well. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, uh, we get to talk more about St. Clair of Assisi. Anna Mitchell and I will uh, discuss her life and legacy. Andrew Swafford will look at the book of Joshua in our ongoing discussion of uh, the project he did with Ascension called A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. Stephanie Mann will discuss Everard Hance, one of the many martyrs of England and Wales uh, that we've been uh, looking at in our ongoing discussions with Stephanie. And then Father Hezekiah Carnazzo will preview the Sunday Mass readings, so stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Deadly wildfires continue to devastate Hawaii. Governor Josh Green said the fires in Maui have killed at least 53 people now and are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the state's history. Green said it will take many years to rebuild the town of Lahaina, which will likely cost billions of dollars. He also said thousands have been displaced and the state is hoping to get 2,000 rooms to assist those in need. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, which opens federal funding toward local recovery efforts. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy in the Mediterranean. Vatican News reports at least 41 people died. The Holy Father took to Twitter to say, quote, let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies and let us pray for the victims and their families. End quote. The Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Brian Shook reports. Thursday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. A spokesperson for Purdue Pharma said the company is confident in the legality of its plan of reorganization and optimistic that the Supreme Court will agree. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December and likely issue a ruling early next year. I'm Brian Shook. The number of suicides in the United States is at an all-time high. 
According to a new report from the CDC, roughly 49,000 Americans committed suicide in 2022, nearly a 3% increase over the prior year. Over half of those suicides involved firearms. U.S. Health Secretary Javier Becerra released a statement with the report saying, quote, too many people still believe asking for help is a sign of weakness. We must continue to eliminate the stigmatization of mental health and make care available to all Americans, end quote. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia cutting cutting off the Black Sea Grain Initiative and the bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The U.S. is striking a deal with Iran to release five Americans imprisoned in the country. Trey Thomas reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says a delegation from Switzerland helped in the negotiations. The Swiss representative did have an opportunity to meet with all of them once they got out of the prison, uh, see them physically, talk to them, and that's how we know that uh, they're out and uh, that they're generally okay. The American detainees will eventually be allowed to leave Iran in exchange for several jailed Iranians and access to about $6 billion in Iranian assets blocked under U.S. sanctions. I'm Trey Thomas. And the addition of Cal and Stanford to the Atlantic Coast Conference is hitting, quote, significant roadblocks, that according to to ESPN, which reports ACC presidents met Wednesday night and will continue to, quote, wrestle with the best way to position the league in the future. Notre Dame was pushing for the addition of both universities as it has a long history with Stanford. However, the Cardinal and Golden Bears would not add significant financial value to the ACC, which is staring at a looming revenue gap with the SEC and Big Ten that could reach $30 million annually. SMU was thought to be an alternative to join the conference, but those conversations are not headed anywhere either, apparently. I don't understand any of the words that just came out of your mouth. Cal and Stanford on the Pacific Coast or near it. Yes. Considering joining the Atlantic Coast Conference. Well, I still don't understand it. All I know is that in the mix of that, you mentioned Notre Dame and SMU. Well, Notre Dame is part of the ACC in football, I well, think, right, Paul? All I could think of is the quote, it oh, might have been Eisenhower. There are so many domers that listen to this show, and I really hope I didn't just... Maybe they're well, in basketball? Well, they'll like they're this joke, though, ACC Anna Mitchell. part of the ACC in some way. The domers will like this joke. And if we got Southern Methodist University people listening, then maybe they'll like the joke too. But I think it was Eisenhower who said, an atheist is a person who watched Notre Dame play SMU and didn't care who won. <laughs> that's, uh, that's your joke for the day. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I think Notre Dame football is still independent, but they're part of the ACC and other sports. Paul is giving me the thumbs up on that. Paul is. I'm sorry, Domers, that I am not quite up to date. I'm an Ohio. If you just hold still, everybody hold still, (laughs) then we can figure out who it. I know, right? Stop moving.
Even I'm getting confused. And I follow college football. Okay. Anyway. Today, Friday, August the 11th, the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi. Also, the Feast of St. Philomena. We'll talk about her next hour with Father Perrigan. Fletcher. A Norbertine. Right now, it's eight past. It's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study here on the Sunrise Morning Show using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. You can pick up your own copy to study along with us at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And we're here with Dr. Andrew Swafford, one of the co-authors of the guide. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Annie. Great to be with you. It is good to have you back. And today we are going to be getting a primer on the book of Joshua. So we are now out of the Pentateuch and post-Moses and into a section of the Bible known as the historical books. Why are they known as the historical books? Well, yeah, they, so we typically think of Joshua, Judges, 1, 2, Samuel, 1, 2, Kings, uh, and First and Chronicles as circle books, because they, they kind of trace the history uh, from the time of Moses to the rise and fall of the uh, Davidic kingdom. Uh, interestingly, in the, in the Jewish tradition, these 1, 2, Samuel, Joshua, Judges, 1, 2, Kings are known as the uh, former prophets, mm-hmm. and, and the latter prophets are the ones that we know of as the prophets, more typically Isaiah, Ezekiel, and company. Uh, I think part of that, uh, one thing we can get from that is that these books, even though we call them historical books, they're both historical and theological. They're sort of history from kind of God's point of view. Interesting. Okay, so now we will dive into the book of Joshua. Tell us about our protagonist here and his importance in the history of Israel. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, you see the beginning of Joshua, um, it, like Joshua 3 and 4, as they cross the Jordan River, uh, it's, it, the narrative is recounted in a way that calls to mind the Red Sea crossing. So it's really kind of the completion of the Exodus. You know, God delivers Israel from Egypt, but for the Promised Land, for ultimately worship at the temple in the Promised Land. And so you see that, that clear uh, connection. You know, the other thing that the Church Fathers notice very, you know, right away is, uh, if you read the Greek Old Testament, the name Joshua is Jesus. It's Jesus. And so Jesus, Joshua, leads the people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, just as, think like the baptism of our Lord, you know, our risen Lord Jesus, uh, leads, you know, in terms of his baptism through the Jordan River. He's bringing about the new Exodus, not from Egypt and slavery there, but from the slavery of sin into heaven itself. Interesting. So Jesus' name is Joshua? Or Joshua's oh, I- name is Jesus? Yeah, so in Hebrew, Yehoshua, whereas it gets kind of morphed in Aramaic, Yeshua, it's the same root, Yasha, it means to save uh, for Joshua's name and Jesus' name. And in the Greek, when you, if you're reading the Greek Old Testament, uh, it's the exact same as the name of our Lord Jesus in uh, the Gospels. And so then this book of Joshua can take on a greater meaning in not just the story of the Israelites, but in the greater story of salvation history as we get the full picture as uh, as the Great Adventure series uh, seeks to do. That, that's exactly right. That's so important because there's a lot of parts uh, often, especially in the book of Joshua, that can be kind of troubling, like all these battles and what's going on here. And even the great St. Augustine in his confessions, uh, the end of book five, he talks about how the Old Testament was a stumbling block for him to return back to his Catholic faith. And it wasn't until St. Ambrose taught him to read the Old Testament spiritually that he really was able to come on board. And so the, the promised land really is a type of figure of heaven. And so the battles fought to attain the promised land really become images of the spiritual battles we must undergo to attain the ultimate promised land, heaven itself. Well, I want to get back to that point in in just a minute here. But but first of all, I think it's important for those that are not familiar with 
with the book of Joshua to to get a bigger picture of of what happens throughout this book. So uh, can you give us an overview of the the events that we read about in there? Yeah, so they, they enter the land, they come to the Jordan River, uh, so they're crossing into the promised land, that, you know, they, what's, what's going to be the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, and they're kind of preparing from chapters 1 through 5. And then 6, they, they take Jericho, and they, they take it in a unique way, right? So the, the priests start to march around the city seven times with the Ark of the Covenant, and on the seventh day, the walls go down. So even in the book of Joshua itself, it's a spiritual battle. The strength is in the Lord. And when you get to the book of Revelation, for example, the seven trumpets, that calls to mind the fall of Jericho, because these seven trumpets, the trumpet blast, that brings the walls down. And so from there through chapter 11, it it really kind of uh, recounts these battles that they fight against um, the Canaanites in the land. And then as you move from 12 and 13, 13 and following, uh, 13 to 23 gives the uh, sort of tribal inheritance. So each tribe, each of the 12 tribes will have a different part of the land and then by chapter 24, uh, you know, Joshua has to plea with his people to remain faithful. As for me and my house, many of your listeners will know this, this passage. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you know, abandon the idols. So on the one hand, you can get a kind of superficial image of Joshua. As like they just kind of conquered everything instantly. But when you read close, you realize, no, it was a slow and gradual thing. And really, they, they didn't. There was much left, and they actually weren't that successful uh, despite the beginning successes. And part of it, in the theme of Joshua, really, it's about faithfulness. It's sort of like the passage in Exodus 14.14, just this call for them to rely on the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. Their strength is in the Lord. That really is the theme of Joshua, and it kind of continues in a negative way in the next book, in the book of Judges. Oh, yeah, and we've got a lot to talk about in the book of Judges the next (laughs) time we get together, Andrew. But um, let's address this difficult issue that that we encounter in the book of Joshua, that being that these battles, as you were mentioning, I mean, even women and children Mm -hmm. are slaughtered by Joshua and his and his soldiers. So can you address that issue? Yeah, so, I mean, this is one of the, the hardest questions there is to address. I think maybe a couple of things can kind of just help a little bit, but, but uh, you know, it's it's going to be a perennial issue, and it, it's not a new issue. The Church Fathers wrestled with this, ju- you know, just as we I just mentioned St. Augustine. Um, so a couple things we could say. One, there is a good bit of hyperbole and war rhetoric uh, in the book of Joshua. Sometimes it says, we killed everyone, and then you see chapters like, like, oh, there's still people here. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and there's been research done comparing Joshua to late second millennium war accounts in, in the ancient Near East. And the same kind of war rhetoric that you often hear elsewhere shows up here. So on the one hand, we, we need to kind of be, you know, not read it superficially, but realize there's a lot of hyperbole, hyperbolic rhetoric going on here. Um, two, there's a deep sense in the ancient world of kind of a corporate mentality. And you see this with Israel's story later on when they're unfaithful, when God raises up Assyria and Babylon to kind of bring judgment upon his own people. And, and there's a sense in the book of Joshua that here it's the reverse, that Israel's people become, Israel becomes an instrument of justice in that um, the text, I mean, again, this is not going to make it easy, but um, there's a sense in which the Canaanites weren't innocent, child sacrifice, a yeah. lot of sexual deviancy. But I think the real answer that I mentioned earlier really is that the promised land becomes an earthly figure of heaven itself. Thank you so much. Dr. Andrew Swafford. We'll have to leave it there because it's 16 past and we got to hit a break. We'll be back right after this.
Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And I wanted to tell you guys how great your show is because uh, I listen to you guys for every, every day for the last past five and a half months. It's because of you guys that I came to the Catholic faith. Now I'm going to church on Sunday for the first time because I just got out yesterday from jail. And I got my mom to go too. And my girlfriend is also going with me. Wow. She's willing to give the Catholic faith a try. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Deadly wildfires continue to devastate Hawaii with now at least 53 people reported dead. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. And Pope Francis has appointed a delegate to try to resolve a liturgy dispute in the Syro Malabar Church in India. Uh, yeah, I've been trying to read, it, read up on that, and I'm not sure I entirely understand it. I'm going to have to pay more attention to it. Yeah, it's um, um it's kind of crazy. It seems intense. Intense. That's a better word for it. Well, rather than comment on something that I'm not informed enough about to speak intelligently upon, uh, we're going to talk about St. Clair quite a bit uh, coming up after your next newscast. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some good feasts over the weekend. want to make sure, you know, August is just loaded, loaded with feasts. Yes. And uh, we got Jane de Chantal, who is tomorrow. Yep. I want to make sure that uh, the people are apprised of that because spiritual you know, she, of course, daughter of Francis de Sales. Yeah, she had the connection to a doctor of the church. But I joked about these guys. Uh, I believe it was on yesterday's show. We were talking about sensitivity training for Southwest <laughs> employees, and you mentioned back in the day that uh, your doctor or your my doctor, teacher. My teacher, fifth grade teacher. Fifth grade yeah. teacher made you sit next to your enemy and you became good friends. Yes. Well, on Sunday, we're not going to hear their story because it's overshadowed um, by the Sunday readings. But Pontian and Hippolytus are together on Sunday, a pope and an anti-pope who were both put into exile and sentenced to work in the mines. 
And in that suffering together and working together, they reconciled to one another. And now they are both saints. It's kind of incredible. So Rather incredible, actually. That's the story I thought of immediately when I heard that you got sort of, you know, stuck next to your enemy for Mm -hmm. all that time. Apparently. Now, I don't know what this is about, but I'm looking at the calendar here. And it says that you can, there's the optional memorial of Saints Pontian and Hippolytus. Yes. Listed under the Sunday go, under the Sunday Gospel reading on the USCCB site. I don't know if that was, I'm not sure if that means, I can't imagine that a priest would be able to override the Sunday. I don't know. Huh, but it's there. Knows. It's 21 past. I'm Father Rob Jack. Join me this afternoon for Driving Home the Faith when Ron Hendershot will discuss the revival of the Passion Play of St. John. Steve Ray will speak about his new Bible study on the book of Genesis. I'll reflect on the life of St. Clara of Assisi. There's frequent traffic and weather to get you home safely. That's this afternoon beginning at 4 on Sacred Heart Radio. You're on the road to Christ the King. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Dr. Robert Berger at Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Dr. Berger has been recognized by Cincinnati Magazine nearly every year over the past 20 years as one of the top physicians in orthopedic surgery, and he serves as team physician for Xavier University, Mount St. Joseph University, and LaSalle High School. Dr. Berger treats patients of all ages at the Beacon West office on Harrison Avenue and on the east side at Cincinnati Sports Club. For more information, 513-354-3700, online at beaconortho.com. Pregnancy Center West is committed to protecting the unborn by encouraging women to see and choose the beauty of life while offering practical assistance for them and their families. Donate securely online at supportpcw.org. That's supportpcw.org. Water damage in your home or business? Plumbing and flooding problems not repaired and restored can quickly get worse over time. Rainbow International of Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky, a proud supporter of Sacred Heart Radio, can help. Rainbow International, 513-271-1000. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Hoting Realtors, trusted and recommended by generations of families to sell their homes. Licensed in Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Hoting Realtors, 513-451-4800 and at Hoting.com. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Molly Maid of Westchester. With 30 years of trusted, quality service and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. 1-800-MOLLY-MADE or at mollymade.com. Molly Made, a clean you can trust. We're joined now by Stephanie Mann from Supremacy and Survival, the English Reformation website that she runs, which has some great resources on the English martyrs. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Matt. The martyr we're talking about today is Blessed Edvard Everard Hans. So if you yes. could, uh, there's an extraordinary story here and uh, some sort of unique aspects of it. Uh, if you could set it up for us. Well, he was a, he, he was a, a, a Protestant. He was an Anglican, and actually he was an Anglican minister. And his brother, William, had actually become a Catholic, and his brother returned as a priest to England and tried to bring his brother Everard into back to the Catholic faith in which, uh, you know, his family had lived for centuries until uh, Elizabeth, uh, Henry VIII and and all the things that happened with the English Reformation. And Everhard withstood William's 
attempts to evangelize until finally became very ill. And that illness, as Father Bowden says, you know, brought things into a different light. And so he did become a Catholic, and then he went immediately to Reims to study for the priesthood following his brother's footsteps, and then returned to England as a missionary priest to serve the Catholics in England. He's one of those martyrs who who came and was arrested pretty quickly because he was going to the Marshalsea prison in London to visit Catholics who were in prison there, and the jailer noticed the boots that he was wearing. And that's why there's Father Bowden really emphasizes boots in, throughout his title and verse that he uses. He, they were foreign made, and so it made the jailer suspicious of him. And so he brought him before a magistrate, and Father Everhard Hans uh, admitted pretty quickly, yes, I'm a Catholic, and yes, I'm a priest. And so then he was arrested and imprisoned. Wow. So because of the boots, uh, he was sort of giving yes. away. You know, it's interesting because, you know, there are so many uh, martyrs we've talked about before, uh, priests who were brought into captivity. And this is actually the case in a few different eras. Uh, this happened in France. Uh, this certainly happened in Mexico. I'm thinking of Blessed Miguel Pro, where, yes. I mean, these these men have to minister and they have to come up with some sort of a disguise in order to do it. Yes. And so he probably had all the right clothing. I mean, we don't have this detail, but the boots gave him away. They just looked, they didn't look like they were made in England to the, to the uh, jailer. And so he was suspicious. But the, also the, just the fact that Father Everhard admitted so quickly, he didn't, he didn't try to obfuscate. He didn't try to avoid his imprisonment he, or being arrested for his priesthood. But at this time, it was not actually, it, this is 1581. So this is the time of, of St. Edmund Campion and his companions' great trials, and the whole. Uh, we've talked about this before. That that and people could find it on my website, that on my blog spot. That that uh, they had to be accused of some kind of plot. It wasn't yet treasonous just to be a Catholic priest who had returned to England. They had to find some kind of treason, some kind of plot or conspiracy, and so he wasn't. It lumped in with those uh, other Je the, the Jesuits and and others in, in the Rome and Rouen's plot, but he was accused. They had to find something to accuse him of, so that they could sentence him to death. And so at trial, they asked him questions and then interpreted them in a way that that it meant that he was committing treason. So, for instance, they asked him in his trial. Uh, do you still observe, believe that the Pope in Rome has authority over you while you, a Catholic priest, are here in England? And Father Everhard said, well, of course he does. He has the same spiritual power over me that he had over you before all your laws have been passed. So they interpreted that meaning, ah, so he's against Elizabeth I's supremacy, so this is treason. They asked him, well, do you want, do you believe do you want others to become Catholics? And he said, yes, I believe that everyone should be a Catholic like I, like I am. So they interpreted that to mean, well, then he wants to persuade people to convert to Catholicism, which was against the law. So they used the, his very answers that he gave honestly to entrap him in while, in, uh, while having him on trial for treason uh, to find him guilty and sentence him to death. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about you know the answers that he gave, which are sort of 
honest and straightforward answers. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, that's kind of what, what makes for such such a powerful story here is that he doesn't try and dance around it. Uh, he just pretty much says it like it is. It reminds me of two different verses about feet in the Bible. Um, one is Isaiah 52, yes. since, you know, of course, he was arrested for his boots. You know, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Uh, you know, it's interesting that it's um, it's in his preaching of the gospel that his, his feet are what give him away. But there's another one where Paul talks in Ephesians 6, where he's talking about the armor yes. of God. And he says, uh, you know, after all the, the shield of faith and the, you know, belt of truth and all that, he says uh, that you should have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Um, and uh, it seems to me as though Father Hans uh, had his feet fitted in both of those senses uh, that Isaiah and Paul are talking about. Yes, and, and Father Bowden picks up on that in his title because his title is Shod for the Gospel, so that he is wearing the boots that bring him to preach the gospel and also to to his martyrdom. And it, Father Father Bowden also brings up this beautiful detail. Of course, remember, hanging, drawing, courting was a horrible, torturous death. And one of the things that made it so horrible was that the man was hanged until he was barely conscious. And then he was eviscerated. His chest was cut open and his heart was cut out of his his chest. And as his heart hit the fire that they threw it in, it danced. And Father Bowden says that showed that this was part of his constancy and the Lord's delight in his constancy and his uh, fidelity. And his last words were, oh, happy day. Wow. What a testimony. Well, thanks so much, Stephanie Mann. You can find Supremacy and Survival, her blog, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a terrible toll on the island of Maui. Governor Josh Green said the fires are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the history of the state, with 53 people confirmed dead so far. Progress is being made, but none of the fires is 100% contained. Green said it will likely take many years to rebuild the West Maui town of Lahaina, which will likely cost billions of dollars. The exact number of those killed and missing will not be known for days. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, opening federal funding towards state and local recovery efforts. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy on the Mediterranean. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. With sorrow, I heard about the news of the shipwreck involving migrants in the Mediterranean Sea. Let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies, Pope Francis tweeted on his At Pontifex account. And let us pray for the victims and their families. According to Italian authorities, more than 90,000 people have reached Italy this year after crossing the Mediterranean Sea. That's more than double the number compared to the same time period last year. They are fleeing conflicts in countries like Sudan, South Sudan and Ethiopia, insecurity in the Sahel regions and beyond. Drought and famine in the Horn of Africa, the climate crisis throughout the African continent that has devastated crops, herds and livelihoods. The route is also used by refugees fleeing persecution and violence in Afghanistan, in Syria and in other Middle Eastern and Asian nations. 
The International Organization for Migration reports that the Mediterranean crossing is one of the most dangerous migrant routes in the world. It estimates that almost 28,000 people have gone missing at sea since 2014. Pope Francis, who has described the Mediterranean as Europe's largest cemetery, has repeatedly appealed to leaders and policymakers to protect the lives and dignity of our brothers and sisters on the move. He is scheduled to travel to the French port city of Marseille on the 22nd and 23rd of September as part of an initiative to foster dialogue between Mediterranean political and religious leaders of different faiths and address the region's shared problems posed by increasing migration patterns, economic inequality, climate issues, interreligious dialogue. I'm Linda Bodoni. The Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Yesterday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December and likely issue a ruling early next year. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to go to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The statement from Bishop David Malloy quotes Pope Francis, who said, quote, I make a heartfelt appeal, appeal that every effort be made to resolve the issue and to guarantee the universal right to food. Please do not use wheat, a staple food, as a weapon of war, end quote. Meanwhile, President Biden is calling on Congress for $24 billion for Ukraine. Brian Shook reports. But some congressional Republicans have been hesitant about putting any more money toward Ukraine's efforts as the war continues with no signs of stopping soon. The Republicans say more oversight is needed to see exactly where the $45 billion already sent to Ukraine went. A CNN poll released last week found 55% of Americans believed Congress should not authorize additional funding. I'm Brian Shook. Just days after departing the city, Pope Francis has appointed a new patriarch of Lisbon. The Holy See yesterday announced Bishop Rui Sousa Valero will succeed the retiring Cardinal Manuel Clement, who turned 75 last month, just a couple of weeks before welcoming the Pope and tens of thousands of pilgrims for World Youth Day. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. Sacred Heart Radio is brought to you by you. Yes, your donations make Catholic Radio possible. So to give a gift of any amount, please visit sacredheartradio.com and click donate or call 513-731-7740. And thank you. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Schneller Knockelman Plumbing, Heating, and Air. During the hottest of weather, Schneller Knockelman will keep you cool with air conditioning repair, installation, and maintenance. Schneller Knockelman. Find us at skpha.com, skpha.com. Pregnancy Center West is committed to protecting the unborn by encouraging women to see and choose the beauty of life while offering practical assistance for them and their families. Donate securely online at supportpcw.org. That's supportpcw.org. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Rose Automotive, serving the Hamilton area with a wide selection of pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Rose Automotive, celebrating over 30 years of automotive excellence. 
on Erie Highway in Hamilton. RoseAutomotiveGroup.com. It's 24 minutes before the hour on this Feast of St. Clair and of St. Philomena. Friday, August the 11th, your forecast is brought to you on Sacred Heart Catholic Radio by Schneller Knockelman Plumbing, Heating, and Air online at skpha.com. Looks like it's going to be a pretty nice day today, though sticky. Right now, temperatures in the lower 60s as you're heading out the door. For Cincinnati, partly cloudy today and humid with a high of 87 degrees. Clouds increasing tonight with rain chances as we near daybreak. With an overnight low tonight of 70, partly cloudy with a spotty storm chance tomorrow and a high of 88 degrees. For the Miami Valley Dayton area, a mix of clouds and sun today and a high of 86. Some clouds with a straight storm possible and an overnight low of 71. Clouds with scattered thunderstorms tomorrow and a high of 88. This is Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. Sunrise Morning Show continues. A uh, brief programming note. I hope you have a chance to catch not just the Sunrise Morning Show, but other programs that occur here on uh, the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And uh, if you're listening today throughout the course of the day, of course, you've got lots of great opportunities to catch stuff like Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, Dr. Zinn at 1 p.m. with uh, Dr. Ray Grindy, that's 1 p.m. Eastern. A personal favorite of mine, called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Yeah. And Tom Price on the line at 2. Uh, but if you call in at 3 today, 3 Eastern, uh, you can actually uh, do open line questions with a person who was recently appointed by Pope Francis to the Marian Pontifical Academy. Look at that. Because Colin Donovan, who does open line Fridays, I just saw this piece on Catholic News Agency. Congratulations, Colin. Uh, Colin, Super who's cool. uh, VP of Theology. At EWTN, he is now part of the Pontifical International Marian Academy as appointed by the Pope himself. So there you go. That's unreal. Well done, Colin. Well deserved. There's a picture of him on the uh, Catholic News Agency article holding the uh, holding the, holding the letter yeah, yeah. and the certificate. I mean, that'd be on my wall. I, yes. would, uh, I don't know that I would put that in a tub and put it in the garage. You my know what's goodness. on my wall? Well, it's not really on my wall. It's kind of leaning up against it. Is the <laughs> the decree becoming um what is the do you remember the order of Alhambra, your friends? Oh yes, were, of course. What is it that I'm called? Um, uh, I think a you're sultana. sultana. Yeah. I think you're sultana. Yeah, my sultana decree. I am uh, which I'm, I could I'm very go bad get at being part of the international order of Alhambra. I'm Can very I, lapsed. I kind of hey Paul. Will you go get it off of the bookshelf by my production room? I Paul's want... going to go get it. So he's so going to go read get it. it so that I you can know. I had it. I had a listener <laughs> ask me recently about the Templars, and uh, you know, of course, you'll hear uh, segments sometimes uh, spots, especially during Ave Maria radio programs from the Order of Malta. Yes, uh, you and I both know Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. I'm really bad. Uh, and actually, I forgot to mention, uh, also on Sunday, it's not uh, on the calendar either because of the Sunday readings, uh, but because I, um, it falls immediately between his birth date and his death date, uh, the 13th of August is also the memorial of Blessed Michael McGivney, founder ah, of the Knights yes. of Columbus. Um, but I am terrible at joining these, like, equestrian orders and, like, 
lay things mm-hmm. that have like knights and stuff in the title or like I order think Paul of is X struggling thing. finding where I have this. international order of X. Yeah. I'm terrible about such things. And so I answer sometimes questions about like, what do you do? Is it cool to be part of this? I'm like, you'll have to ask me when I don't have children in the house and when I have more expendable income and time on my hands, <laughs> because <laughs> and until I reach a different stage of life, I'm probably not going to be very useful to any of those orders. I know, right? So, at any rate. Sorry, Paul was, I was He's looking for your certificate of sultananess. Because he cannot find my certificate of sultananess. Sultanitude. <laughs> it comes with no um, obligations that I am aware of. But It's just saying that you're like a uh, Catholic woman of good Yes, Paul. He found standing. it. He found it. Thank you, Paul. By the way, when I was in the International Order of Alhambra, when I was uh, actually more active in it, briefly, which Alhambra is, um, it's a, it's an order, among other things, to lay, well, there were priests involved too, but um, we worked to kind of do some inclusive things for people with intellectual disabilities and that sort of stuff. It was, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool group. All I right. wish I had time to be more involved in it. This is what it says. Well, in part, along this mighty Potomac and its many various tributaries and distributaries has met while duly constituted and with quorum of eminent officers and decreed from the Alcazar upon the petition of her friend, Sir Noble Matthew Swaim, and in recognition of the friendship shown to our mighty caravan over its many years by the most gracious and serene Catholic lady, Miss Anna Mitchell, Didst while there and then sitting, didst motion, vote and ratify, and thus has conferred upon her the title of Sultana, with all honors, dishonors, rights, and privileges pertaining thereto. May God command the angels to forever guard her in all her ways. Let it also be known that this divan also decrees that henceforth her spoken name shall be likened to a spreading perfume, that her dignity be nothing less than a true pearl that her faith be the very pole star of the north, that her joy be a stringed instrument of heaven, and as such, she shall be a most fragrant and beautiful flower of the desert. It goes on from there. So in the picture here in the Catholic News Agency article, it's kind of small and I can't read it, but I'm pretty sure the thing that Colin Donovan got says something different than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Just going to put it out there. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Colin. Yes, absolutely. I didn't, and uh, a happy impending I'm sorry that I turned day. it toward myself. But That's okay. That's okay. I just, it made uh, me think of it. But I want to I shout out all the knights. Some of them are doing pancake breakfast this weekend. I don't know if they're doing any kind of special pancakes. Extra blueberries, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the pancakes, if you're doing the pancake breakfast on Sunday with the knights. I know the knights of Columbus at our parish uh, tend to run donuts. Maybe, uh, maybe get a few extra jelly filled and throw them in the mix. Uh, in honor of the uh, – well, so Pope Francis beatified um, Blessed Michael McGivney, and I believe it was 2020, mm-hmm. uh, and big party for the Knights of Columbus. But because of the way that things fall, um, so I want to make sure that I get it get it correct. So it's the, the, the feast day is the 13th. He was born on August 12th, 1852. He died on August 14th, 1890. The day in the middle of that on the calendar is the 13th of August. So there you go. Well, there you have it. So that's his feast day. If you're wondering why he's not 
his feast is not either on his birthday or on his death day. Well, August 14th, he would be, you know, up against, so to speak, Maximilian Kolbe. Well, nobody wants that. Now he's just up against a pope and an anti-pope. <laughs> reconciled in the mines during exile. It's and hard to be a saint in August. I was thinking about this because today... It's hard to be being, a saint any day of the calendar year. Today being the feast of St. Clair and also St. Philomena. That's right. We're going to talk more about her next hour. Yeah, exactly. And I was I was kind of caught off guard because there's this new children's book on St. Philomena. That's who we're going to be talking to the author, Father Peregrine Fletcher. And um, I just, I don't even know why I looked below the name Claire of Assisi on August 11th and happened to notice that Philomena was listed there. Um but she has an incredible story, St. Philomena, and I don't know about you, Matt, but a uh, resurgence of the name Philomena. I know quite a few people who have named a child Philomena. I know in a lot of Philomenas under the I know age a lot of Claire's as well, actually. Under the age of 12. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you get a chance, you should go look at all the people who are on a particular day. I'm looking on the calendar today, and there's a uh, there's a third century... A uh, Greek saint who was martyred in the persecutions of Diocletian. His name, Anna Mitchell, St. Alexander the Charcoal Burner. Ooh. I mean, this is what you're missing out on if you don't pay attention to the church calendar and d- go to that next level, the next yep. level past the main feast day. Mm-hmm. St. Alexander the Charcoal Burner. Chromatius the Prefect. Chromatius is a great name. Don't know many kids naming their kids. No, no many kids named Chromatius, but mm-hmm. we ought to. Rufinus of Assisi. Okay. Another Assisi saint on the calendar today. He built the first church in... Holy mackerel. But I'm going to read now about Blessed Maurice Tournay, who's on the calendar today, uh, who was a Swiss missionary to Tibet, shot by Tibetan guards um, while preaching the gospel. There's there's some, some incredible saints on the calendar, like... Literally every day. Saint People Susanna you've never heard of. of Rome. Killed under Diocletian. Wow. There you go. Dig into the calendar. Find cool things. Meet cool people. Pray for their intercession. We're back right after this. It's 14 till. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. 
If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. St. Augustine gives us tremendous insight as to why we should pray. He says this, Why God should ask us to pray when he knows what we need even before we ask him may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for as God, he cannot fail to already know it. But rather, he wants us to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. How do you feel about self-driving cars? You can tell us your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. Such a blessing to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, and it's great to have you back. And so looking at the readings for Mass this upcoming Sunday, the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and the Gospel for this weekend is from Matthew chapter 14, um, the story of Jesus walking on the water. But it starts off saying, after he had fed the people, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and proceed him to the other sides. Then he goes up on a mountain to pray by himself and then comes to them walking on the water. It appears that the Sea of Galilee is in great turmoil. So I have a lot of questions about this. Why did he tell them to get on a boat and proceed him to the other side? Why is he going up on the mountain by himself to pray? And then why does he come to them walking on water? Annie, your questions are great because they're asking questions of Jesus. And this is what we got to do when we do Bible study. You got to say, why? And asking questions of why of, of things that don't seem to be all that important is super important. He, he tells the disciples to get into the boat, if you know the, the context of the story, because the, um, the Herodians, the, the, the servants, the soldiers of, of Herod, are waiting to arrest him. He's gotten himself at this point in the gospel in a whole bunch of trouble. And he, he, because he's, he's doing things which prove that he is the Messiah, the king. And, of course, Herod doesn't want that. This is the son, by the way, of Herod the Great, uh, who divided his kingdom among his sons. And the Sea of Galilee is split in two, right down the middle by the line of the Jordan River. On one side, Herod's son, Herod, and on the other side, Philip, okay, whose wife Herod stole. You know the story mm -hmm. with John the Baptist, okay? Yep. So there's two political vine, uh, powers up in Galilee, two brothers, and Jesus continually goes to the other side, that's the other side of the line, the other side of the Jordan River, across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. When he starts to get himself in trouble, he gets himself in trouble with the multiple loads of fish because he's got, how many people are there? 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women and children. So at least 15,000, maybe 20,000 people yeah. gathered together, and they're all chanting that he is the Christ. He's the one that's fed them. He's the one that's going to save the, save the Jews. It's, and so Herod's got to put this guy down. He has to. So he, as soon as he does the miracle and the people are saying, yeah, he's the Messiah, 
the soldiers who are behind the scene are looking to arrest him. So he says, get out of Dodge. Get out of here. He puts on the boat and says, go to the other side. That's to Philip's territory. Okay? Then he himself goes up to the mountain to pray in his lonely place. There's a cave right there on the side of the Sea of Galilee where this miracle took place. Many of the tourists don't realize it, but there's the cave is right there. It goes up, and Jesus sits inside this cave overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He's sitting on a throne. It's amazing. Mm. And, and he, he could see the this, this storm coming because during that time of the year, storms would come from the east rolling across the Sea of Galilee. He saw this storm coming. He knew what was taking place, and there... He sees the apostles get themselves into trouble. That's absolutely fascinating and actually kind of links us then to the the story in the first reading from Kings 19. I mean, we're, we're seeing Elijah told to come out of the cave and look for the Lord passing by. Yeah, the, you know, the church places before us a beautiful theme of prayer that's symbolized by the cave, but then... The, the presence of the Lord in the midst of the problems going on, you have to realize that the, the storm going on around Elijah, the storm going on around, around Jesus, isn't just the wind. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a political storm because Elijah in this Old Testament is being hunted by Je- the evil Queen Jezebel, and he's going to be killed. They're going to look to kill him, just like they're going to look to kill Jesus. It's the same story. But notice the presence of the Lord in the midst of their strife, and coming to us not as we normally expect. Yeah, we want, oh, we want God to come and shoot lightning down and appear in all of his word. But this is not the way the Lord works. It's a, quite a tiny whispering sound he appears. We have to become people who listen again, people of prayer, people who are found in the cave, who are uh, uh, looking for the Lord. Now, he's not going to come crashing into our life like that, but he's all around us, constantly protecting us, constantly guiding us, always there in the midst of this, of the struggle and the strife of our life. Andy, can I share with you a beautiful quotation from St. Augustine on this, on this beautiful passage in the Gospel? Oh, please do. Okay, here's what he says. The boat carrying the disciples, that is the church, is rocking and shaking amidst the storms of temptation while the adverse wind rages on. That is to say, its enemy, the devil, strives to keep the wind from calming down. But greater is he who, per, who is persistent on our behalf amid the vicissitudes of our life. He gives us confidence. He comes to us and strengthens us. So we are not jostled in the boat and tossed overboard. And this, isn't this, isn't this uh, today yes. such an applicable text, the gospel and, and, and image? The church is being, being, being thrashed about by all of the, the problems that are taking place, being attacked. And we ourselves feel like we're going to be tossed overboard. But we have to stay safely in the boat. We have to be protected by the gift that Jesus gives us. And he's present. That's the other thing. He's present in all of this. He's, he's here to protect us and guide us. If only we would trust in him. If only we would reach out and take hold of his hand. And with all of this craziness going on in our world, and all of the attacks and all of the temptations, it looks like our church is being torn apart. The Lord is present, just like he was in the life of Elijah, just as, he, as, as, as Jesus was present in the life of the disciples. Oftentimes difficult to perceive. Calm down. Look around. See the, the fingerprint of the Lord, the presence of God in our life. Mm-hmm. He's I, here, and he'll guide the church. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, looking at that reading in, in Kings, you know, all of these things are happening around Elijah, and he knows that the Lord was not in them. But it says, after the fire, there was a tiny whispering sound. And, you know, Father, so many times in, in times of turmoil, 
like we find ourselves in today as in <laughs> any time really in in history we look around and we say where is the lord in this well we've got to be attuned to hear that tiny whispering sound amid all of the noise around us absolutely if you look at the epistles the same story saint paul's dealing with all the the political storm the fallout from his conversion to christ around him it's all it's there it's, it's been the same from the beginning of the world the lord's present and look at the trick of the devil to get our lives so busy to be so constantly on the cell phone, constantly on the computer, constantly with the phone calls, constant, constant, constant to distract us. We're going to stop and smell the roses. I'm serious about that. In the coming week, stop and smell a rose. Because we keep walking past all of the, all of the beautiful miracles the Lord places in our life and become people that see again and hear again. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to connect with you and check out the resources at the Institute, how do they find them? Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Come check us out. And you can find instituteofcatholicculture.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Registration open there for a 10-week course with Dr. John Cutteback on the Cardinal Virtues. That'll be starting in September on Monday. Father Hezekiah's brother, Father Sebastian, is going to be going at Messianic Judaism. Should be pretty interesting. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. We got another hour coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. In this crazy world, where can Catholics go with their hard-earned money and not support businesses that go against our faith? Check out the Angels List on SacredHeartRadio.com. It's a list of businesses owned and operated by our Catholic brothers and sisters who underwrite Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. And if you'd like to get your business on the Angels List, email me, Leah, at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. I am Deacon Mike Erb with Coldwell Banker Realty. Proud to support Sacred Heart Radio because I am a faithful listener and I'm happy to help you with buying or selling your home. 513-237-8888. That's 513-237-8888. Being prepared is everything, right? Does your family know your wishes for your final resting place? Gate of Heaven Cemetery, Archdiocese of Cincinnati's pre-planning family services advisors will assist you and your family with your advanced planning by helping you make decisions calmly and with a clear mind. Attend an upcoming pre-planning seminar at Gate of Heaven Cemetery so you can rest with peace of mind. 513-489-0300. 513-489-0300. I'm Bill Torbeck of Tri-State Abrasive and Tool Company, proud to support Sacred Heart Radio. We strive to provide the highest quality diamond and CBN products manufactured by privately owned companies, enabling us to provide prompt and personal service and you to avoid the unnecessary cost and frustrations of dealing with bureaucracies. Find us online at theabrasiveone.com. That's the number one, theabrasiveone.com, theabrasiveone.com. Working to see the culture of life prevail in the Miami Valley, Dayton Right to Life is here to protect God's gift of life through law, education, and community action, from fertilization to natural death. 
Find Dayton Right to Life online at DaytonLife.org. That's DaytonLife.org. You rely on your car, so rely on the experts at Fort Mitchell Garage, a proud supporter of Sacred Heart Radio. They can do it all from brakes, tires, and heating and cooling to towing and collision repair and more. Fort Mitchell Garage on Dixie Highway in Park Hills. On the web at FortMitchellGarage.com. The Cincinnati Chapter of Legatus is a national network of Catholic business owners, CEOs, and managing partners facing the challenges of faith, family, and business each day. We meet once a month with our spouse for a mass, dinner, and speaker. We have the support of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati and many members throughout the parishes, including yours. We would appreciate the chance to share what we are about with you and enjoy Mass together soon. Contact us at Cincinnati at Legatus.org. That's Cincinnati at Legatus.org. This is Father Michael Mary Dosh from St. Gertrude in Madeira. Thank you for listening to Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. 740 WNOP Newport, 910 WPFB Middletown, or get the app, stream, podcast, and more at SacredHeartRadio.com. Arise, it's a new day. Continue on this Friday, the 11th of August, the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi, by praying the Collect Prayer for the day in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O God, who in your mercy led St. Clair to a love of poverty, grant through her intercession that following Christ in poverty of spirit, we may merit to contemplate you one day in the heavenly kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Clair of Assisi, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are happy to have you along on a Friday morning as we wind down the work week. Many of us do, and as some of you are getting ready to start school, I mean like real soon. Well, we are glad to be part of your preparation for that. And don't forget, when school does start, uh, you've got something to listen to on the way in the Sunrise Morning Show. Of this hour, I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And we will be talking to Father Peregrine Fletcher, who is going to talk about St. Philomena on this, her feast day. She's on the calendar along with St. Clair. Father Robert Nixon will discuss the emerald as a jewel that reflects the virtues of Mary. We'll catch up with Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. Also preview the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan. So please do stay with us if you can. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a toll on the island of Maui. Governor Josh Green said the fires are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the history of the state, with 55 people confirmed dead so far. Progress is being made, but none of the fires is 100% contained. Governor Green said it will take many years to rebuild the West Maui town of Lahaina, 
which will likely cost billions of dollars. The exact number of those killed and missing may not be known for days. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, opening up federal funding towards state and local recovery efforts. Green says thousands of people will need housing, and the state is hoping to get 2,000 rooms to assist those in need. An historic Catholic church has been destroyed in the wildfires. The Maria Lanaquila Catholic Church, which was established in 1846. The fire has also destroyed a 200-year-old church from the United Church of Christ. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of yet another migrant tragedy on the Mediterranean. Vatican News reports at least 41 people died. The Holy Father took to Twitter saying, quote, let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies and let us pray for the victims and their families. The Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Brian Shook reports. Thursday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. A spokesperson for Purdue Pharma said the company is confident in the legality of its plan of reorganization and optimistic that the Supreme Court will agree. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December and likely issue a ruling early next year. I'm Brian Shook. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The U.S. is striking a deal with Iran to release five Americans imprisoned in the country. Trey Thomas reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says a delegation from Switzerland helped in the negotiations. The Swiss representative did have an opportunity to meet with all of them once they got out of the prison, uh, see them physically, talk to them, and that's how we know that uh, they're out and uh, that they're generally okay. The American detainees will eventually be allowed to leave Iran in exchange for several jailed Iranians and access to about $6 billion in Iranian assets blocked under U.S. sanctions. I'm Trey Thomas. The Justice Department is proposing a January start date for the trial in former President Trump's alleged election interference case. In a court brief filed yesterday, Special Counsel Jack Smith proposed that the trial begin on January 2nd. Prosecutors also estimate the trial will take four to six weeks. Trump is facing four federal charges in connection to alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The defense will also submit a proposed start date with the judge determining the calendar for the trial. And Pope Francis has appointed a delegate to try to resolve a liturgy dispute in the Syro Malabar Church in India. The Catholic News Agency reports the debate is over which direction a priest should face when celebrating the liturgy and has led to hunger strikes and burning effigies of bishops. Pope Francis has intervened directly several times to try to resolve the conflict. Matt, you got nothing? I got nothing. 
Oh, there you are. I don't think Paul turned on your mic. Did you have something to say? I did not have something to say. I was actually working on something else. Oh, okay. I'm sure it was a very, very, very good thing that you were going to discuss, but I was looking ahead to the readings from Mass on Sunday. Oh, I know. Well, talk about like Jesus walking on the water in the midst of a storm. Yes, and sending the apostles on ahead Mm -hmm. and catching up with them on the water. Okay, we'll keep reading up. I was just thinking about what I was going to say later, and I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say right now. Well, given that we are not... Did I miss a good pun opportunity? No, no. The Ciro Malabar controversy? Oh, that. Yeah, I also... I don't have anything intelligent to say about that. Yeah. I told you, I I got a lot more research to do on that one. I know, right? It's crazy. Anyway... Today is Friday, August the 11th. It's the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi, also the Feast of St. Philomena. With that in mind, Father Peregrine Fletcher is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's author and illustrator of the new children's book, My Name is Philomena. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you so much for joining us. So St. Philomena is a saint who I think kind of gets overshadowed by St. Clair, given that they share this August 11th feast day. Um, Can you just give us a little bit of an overview of the life of St. Philomena? Absolutely. I mean, she is an amazing uh, saint who is an ancient virgin martyr from uh, the the, the early church, third century. And um, she was... uh, a young girl, uh, 13 years old, when she was martyred, and uh, she was martyred under the reign of the Emperor Diocletian in the Roman Empire. She herself lived in Greece, and uh, what we know of her life, the, the, the few details through uh, the historical discovery of her tomb and her relics with her name and the private revelations which came later on in history and which uh, the Church has allowed to be, to be told, um, the, the few details that we know is that she was a young Greek uh, princess who uh, was whose family was seeking protection from the Roman Empire during a time of war, and uh, Diocletian, as uh, happened on a number of occasions, fell in love with her and demanded her hand in marriage, and when she refused countless times, each time um, met, uh, St. Philomena met with great torture uh, and punishment, um, and she was an extremely brave saint who overcame each each attempt uh, to torture her. Uh, and a- after a number of um, awful uh, awful things she endured, she was eventually martyred. And um, so that's her her story. But she's a saint of great courage and great perseverance, and an example of uh, chastity and. Uh, in this way, I think she's so much the perfect thing for us to look to uh, in today's uh, day and age, although she lived so long ago. Absolutely. You know, I was going to ask what about her story first captured you, that she thought she would be a good saint for children to know better. Right. And it's an interesting question. And it was something, it was a challenge uh, writing this book because, and especially illustrating this book, because obviously we want to introduce children to the reality of martyrdom, but we need to do that with great sensitivity and gentleness. But, you know, we show our, our children from an early age an image of the crucifix and what our Lord and Savior uh, did for us in dying on the cross and himself 
you know, being killed and, and, and laying down his life for love of us. And the saints get the opportunity to do that. Uh, and sometimes that's through uh, this red martyrdom, and sometimes it's through the more white martyrdom of our daily life and sacrifices. But St. Philomena really struck me. When, when I entered St. Michael's Abbey as a seminarian, there was a huge devotion uh, to St. Philomena among the seminarians, and I didn't know anything about her. It was 10 years ago. And so I started learning about her, and the more that I learned, uh, the more I realized, gosh, she's the perfect saint for today's culture. Uh, and then not only the more that I learned, the more that I prayed to her and spent time with her like we do with the saints. I fostered this relationship with uh, with this great saint, and I really had a sense that she was looking out for me and for my community, uh, uh, and uh, I really um, thought her story needs to be told. I agree. So why did you choose to write this book in the first person as if she's telling the story rather than just giving us a story mm -hmm. about her from an outside perspective? Wow, that's a really good question. And I thought that it was so important to me that it was written in the first person. And a part of me thinks if I ever <laughs> write again, I think wish I just love reading about saints as though from this uh, first-person perspective, as though they were speaking to you, because uh, it's really important that this is a, that, that our uh, relationship with the saints it involves conversation. It's not just learning about them, but talking to them. Uh, so I wanted it to be as though someone would open the book and be talking about her life to Saint Philomena herself. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I might suggest you write about some of the other virgin martyrs um, mm. who are so needed in this time, not to give you any more jobs, <laughs> Father. That's a but... great idea. We need them. We need well, them. Yeah. And... I yeah. think so. I mean, I was going to say, um, I know quite a few little girls named Philomena. I myself have an Agnes and know that that name has, has been gaining a lot of uh, traction uh, for for young girls these days, I do think that there is a, a hunger for the stories of the Virgin Martyrs. I think so too, and it uh, to me, it's just uh, hearing that, hearing you know about you know all these uh, little girls named after uh, Virgin Martyrs. It shows me what I'm so convinced of is that there's. Uh, there's not a separation from these saints. They, they lived so long ago, but their stories are so incredibly, incredibly relevant today. Um, we are separated by way of a timeline, but not by way of grace. It's something I've been uh, telling people when I'm sharing the story of St. Philomena, that, that in, in the eyes of uh, God, you know, a thousand years are, are as yesterday, just as like a one day in your, your, your sight. So, um, it's almost as though they just lived in the eyes of God just yesterday. Uh, so their, their their lives are important and relevant, and we can learn so much about them. So we need to tell their stories, and we need the, the children, even the difficult you know circumstances they lived in. It's good for us to sensitively and gently tell our uh, children these these stories. For sure. So you wrote this book. You also illustrated it so what was it like to put yourself into the the heart mind and soul of philomena yeah wow you're asking the right questions that was a, it was the most beautiful thing in in a way about this whole project was actually just sitting down with saint philomena and trying to understand her sufferings and depict her sufferings uh in the in the way that i could and i love to illustrate i've always loved to to draw and so um it, it was so beautiful. It took me forever to write this book, about 10 years, because I'm not 
an author or illustrator primarily, you know, my first job is to be a priest and uh, a religious. And so whenever the bell rings at the Abbey, I have to put down my work and go to prayers, which is very frequently. So, <laughs> but I was able really to, uh, I, I get to know her and it was a beautiful experience. It took 10 years to write, but it, I just realized over these 10 years, I got to spend some really great quality time with her and uh, learn about her sufferings and actually follow her example because I had been I had her on my mind for 10 years. Mm. Well, Father, I'll look forward in 10 years to a book on maybe St. Agnes or St. Lucy or, or Agatha. Um, maybe over the course of the next 50, we'll have you on a few times to talk about awesome. it. Awesome. <laughs> well, I very much look forward to that. Thank you for the warm welcome. It was great to be here. It was really great to have you, Father, and we'd love to have you back. We've been talking to Father Peregrine Fletcher, and the book is called My Name is Philomena. It's a children's picture book that was illustrated and written by Father Peregrine. Quite beautiful from Tan Books, and you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. You too, Father. Thanks. All right. It's a quarter past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a toll on the island of Maui with 55 people confirmed dead so far. An historic Catholic church is among the structures that have been destroyed in the Hawaii wildfires. And the Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell just posted a video this morning over at the uh, Coming Home Network mm -hmm. uh, that I hope is helpful to um, actually to converts and to 
cradle Catholics. Uh, Sam Guzman from the Catholic Gentleman. Oh yeah, yeah. Some of his uh, his rookie mistakes that he made as a brand rookie new convert. Rookie mistakes, huh? If you don't know Sam's story, uh, he grew up kind of in a fundamentalist Baptist world and went on to Bob Jones University. Um, he actually converted largely by working at the art gallery at Bob Jones University. Really? <laughs> Which is its own interesting story. Wow. Uh, but when he became Catholic, he kind of approached it um, the way he had sort of approached his fundamentalist faith. So uh, those of us who come from evangelical Protestant backgrounds, uh, when we become Catholic very often— uh, we want to do exactly what we've done our whole Christian lives, which is go and tell everybody about this thing we just found. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes we've let our zeal run ahead of our prudence and strained uh, some relationships that we wish we had uh, not strained. Maybe kind of maybe slow walked prioritized the uh, the role of knowledge mm. of tidbits about the faith uh, rather than the actual figuring out how to yeah. live in the world of the sacraments. Um, right. Some some people I know have gotten burned out. But uh, Sam kind of shares a little bit of his experience with that and uh, has some advice for for people who are recently Catholic um, who may have come in this past Easter, Pentecost, or any time during the summer to not fall into some of those traps. And you know what? Cradle Catholics have a role to play here, Anna Mitchell. Yeah. Because sometimes we grab somebody who's new, and because they were a zealous evangelical, they're a zealous Catholic. We put them in front of stuff way too fast mm-hmm. and set them up. Well, that's like a big thing for you, right? You're, you you got to let them, you know, have their first fall during Lent. Before, you got be, uh, to fail at Lent at least once. Before you're allowed to come on the journey home. Before you're on the journey home. <laughs> a lot of people are like, I heard this person's entering RCIA. Should you get them on the journey home? I'm like, let's let them settle. Let them, let them settle. Let them get used to being Catholic. That first couple of years, you don't even know why you became Catholic. You think you know. But you don't even know. You don't even know. I thought I was Catholic because the Catholic Church was right about everything, but really that was kind of a prideful idea. Even though I approve of all the Catholic Church's answers was what I was really saying. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, I realize now what I needed was a stable stream of grace in my life. Amen. There you have it. Did you just receive a Sacred Heart Radio t-shirt because you took our listener survey? One thing the survey told us was how many of you found out about Sacred Heart Radio from our bumper magnets. So imagine how many more will know where they can hear about God's love and mercy by wearing your Sacred Heart Radio t-shirt. So thank you for letting the good news be told without saying a word. Every time you wear your Sacred Heart Radio t-shirt and by ordering our bumper magnets by going to sacredheartradio.com and clicking on signs and magnets. Being prepared is everything, right? Does your family know your wishes for your final resting place? Gate of Heaven Cemetery, Archdiocese of Cincinnati's pre-planning family services advisors will assist you and your family with your advanced planning by helping you make decisions calmly and with a clear mind. Attend an upcoming pre-planning seminar at Gate of Heaven Cemetery so you can rest with peace of mind. 513-489-0300. 513-489-0300. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Central Fabricators. Central Fabricators is currently seeking welders for their ASME code fabrication shop. They're looking for hard-working professionals who enjoy meeting challenges and surpassing customer expectations. Candidates are required to have experience in fit-up and welding. 
This is long-term employment in a secure, rewarding full-time career with a four-day work week, health care and dental benefits, and paid vacations. More information at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. St. Vincent de Paul, Northern Kentucky, understands the importance of a helping hand when life becomes difficult. Through the grace of God and the amazing generosity of volunteers and donors, St. Vincent de Paul, Northern Kentucky has been able to provide over $200,000 in rent and utility assistance to nearly 2,000 neighbors in need in the last 12 weeks alone. The prayer is to continue to faithfully serve those in need well into the future. To learn how you can help, visit svdpnky.org and follow along on social media. Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through The Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Eddie. How are you? I am doing great and uh, happy to have you here on the show today. You know, we're continuing to reflect on these various stars and flowers and gems that St. Ildefonsus places in the crown of the Virgin. And today we're going to be talking about the emerald, which takes the 15th place. Can you tell us about the emerald and what qualities this gem would have had in the yeah. eyes of St. Ildefonsus? Yeah, so so the emerald was, um, even in the Middle Ages and antiquity, one of the most precious and rare gemstones, which it still is today, of course. Um, and its other quality, which he focuses on, is its green coloration, which, um, of course, is a symbol of, of neutrality and also a property which it was believed to have of, of bringing soothing to anyone who looked at it. So that if you looked into an emerald, it would give you this feeling of calmness and, and soothing, which, which I suppose is actually true in a way. I, I haven't actually tried it myself, but I, you know, thinking about the, uh, the, the rich green color and um, the effect of that color on the mind, because all colors do have their psychological uh, and spiritual effect. Yes, I, I, um, he focuses on this as this gemstone being able to convey a soothing to whatever soul uh, contemplates it. Oh, that's so interesting because I was wondering why this yeah. chapter was, was, he starts off with sort of this nautical imagery and that makes a whole lot more sense when you yeah. think about stormy seas. He, he does indeed, you know, and this image we've talked about uh, a little earlier of representing Mary as the star of the sea and the image of our mortal life being like um, taking a voyage on the ocean uh, is so true. And because uh, so many times we feel as if we've either lost our way or we're surrounded by turbulent waves and, and darkness and so forth. And he begins with that. He says, amidst the turbulent waves of this life, you, O Mary, are my secure harbour. Amid the shipwrecks of this world, you are the safe harbour to which I flee. You are my help in adversities, my guide in perplexity, my secret joy in times of tri trial, and my refreshment in labour. And, and these words, I think, uh, you know, ring so true to so many Catholics who are devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary, certainly to myself, when we, when we feel that the world is too much for us, that the waves of the world are assaulting us in every direction, then we just need to turn to her to find this uh, great illumination and comfort. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I was reflecting as I read the prayer at the end of this chapter that this this prayer could have been very easily written today. Indeed, it could, you know, and um, it expresses so many of the things that really don't change about human life. I guess pretty much since the fall of Adam and Eve, it's always been a time of stress and and trial and people needing this refreshment, this soothing to uh, to make them go forward on this pilgrimage, which God is leading them on. Yeah, can you talk about, I mean, it's so funny because when I was reading this prayer, I mean, obviously some some great truths that are ever ancient, ever new in terms of, of the sin of this world. But one thing that comes out in his reflection here is that I myself am a sinner and so i need her aid in in recognizing my own sinfulness and calming the sinfulness out of my life so to speak yeah yeah that that's very true you know because so many of the anxieties and troubles in their life are um i mean some of them are the result of external things but a lot of them are actually the result of of uh, sinfulness or at least a a tendency to sin which lurks within us. So this internal purification. But he also identifies, I think, very wonderfully uh, some of the things going on in the world in his time. And he says, piety and mercy have become rare and worldliness has infected even those who profess to be religious. Fraud and deception abound and the church has become the target of assaults and insults. And, you know, that that is so true in our modern Western society. Uh, I don't know how it is in the United States, but certainly in Australia. <laughs> Probably church, worse. You know, we get we get a lot of uh, a lot of bad press where, where, you know, what we do or what we believe is hardly ever represented in a fair way. And certainly see, O oh most merciful mother, how many are the miseries into which human nature has fallen? How great are the adversities faced by your sons? holy Catholic Church, and how faithless our world has become. Gentle Mother, may your tender mercy condole us in our misery. May you serve as an advocate for us on the day of judgment, averting the justified indignation of the Eternal Father. May the impieties of our world be subdued and peace be restored. May religious life flourish with new vigor and faith, be restored to the hearts of humanity that we may give more fitting praise and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Of course, we always pray for the flourishing of religious life and know that uh, you, yourself, Father, are uh, part of that flourishing that we see here in the church. And we're so grateful for your contributions here to the Sunrise Morning Show, particularly as we've been going through this book. Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Robert Nixon, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you, Annie, and God bless all your listeners today. Thank you, Father. You as well. And of course, you can find all of our guests that you hear on a daily basis linked in our show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com. Be sure to uh, click on the subscribe button so you can get all the info linked in your inbox. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. 
The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a devastating toll on the island of Maui. Josh Green, the governor, said the fires are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the history of the state. 55 people confirmed dead so far. Progress is being made, but none of the fires is 100 percent contained. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration opening federal funding towards state and local recovery efforts. An historic Catholic church has been destroyed in the wildfires. The Maria Lanaquila Catholic Church, which was established in 1846. The fire has also destroyed a church from the United Church of Christ, which just celebrated its 200th anniversary. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy in the Mediterranean. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. With sorrow, I heard about the news of the shipwreck involving migrants in the Mediterranean Sea. Let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies, Pope Francis tweeted on his At Pontifex account. And let us pray for the victims and their families. According to Italian authorities, more than 90,000 people have reached Italy this year after crossing the Mediterranean Sea. That's more than double the number compared to the same time period last year. They are fleeing conflicts in countries like Sudan, South Sudan and Ethiopia, insecurity in the Sahel regions and beyond. Drought and famine in the Horn of Africa, the climate crisis throughout the African continent that has devastated crops, herds and livelihoods. The route is also used by refugees fleeing persecution and violence in Afghanistan, in Syria and in other Middle Eastern and Asian nations. The International Organization for Migration reports that the Mediterranean crossing is one of the most dangerous migrant routes in the world. It estimates that almost 28,000 people have gone missing at sea since 2014. Pope Francis, who has described the Mediterranean as Europe's largest cemetery, has repeatedly appealed to leaders and policymakers to protect the lives and dignity of our brothers and sisters on the move. He is scheduled to travel to the French port city of Marseille on the 22nd and 23rd of September as part of an initiative to foster dialogue between Mediterranean political and religious leaders of different faiths and address the region's shared problems posed by increasing migration patterns, economic inequality, climate issues, interreligious dialogue. I'm Linda Bodoni. The Supreme Court is blocking the Purdue Pharma drug company from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Yesterday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid crisis. A spokesperson for Purdue Pharma said the company is confident in the legality of its plan and optimistic the Supreme Court will agree. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. U.S. bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The statement from Bishop David Malloy quotes Pope Francis, who said, quote, I make a heartfelt appeal that every effort be made to resolve this issue 
and to guarantee the universal human right to food. Please do not use wheat, a staple food, he said, as a weapon of war. Meanwhile, President Biden is calling on Congress for $24 billion for Ukraine. Brian Shook has more. I actually can't seem to find that story. Never mind. Meanwhile, the Justice Department is proposing a January start date for the trial in former President Trump's election interference case. In a court brief filed yesterday, special counsel Jack Smith proposed the trial to begin on January 2nd. Prosecutors also estimated the trial would take four to six weeks. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. The podcast of the Sunrise Morning Show and Driving Home the Faith lets you replay and share an interview. They even have markers to help you find the interview quickly. Sunrise Morning Show and Driving Home the Faith podcast are in the daily show notes at sacredheartradio.com. This is Chris Knockelman, owner of Schneller Knockelman Plumbing, Heating, and Air. Our family has been a proud supporter of Sacred Heart Radio for more than a decade, and we encourage other businesses to do the same. Find us at skpha.com, skpha.com. Pregnancy Center West is committed to protecting the unborn by encouraging women to see and choose the beauty of life while offering practical assistance for them and their families. Donate securely online at supportpcw.org. That's supportpcw.org. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Sunset Janitorial Supply, a Catholic family business supplying the tri-state cleaning industry with commercial cleaning supplies, personal hygiene, equipment, and even machine repair. Free delivery to your business. More information at sunsetjanitorialsupply.com. It's 24 minutes before the hour on this Feast of St. Clair and of St. Philomena. Friday, August the 11th. Your forecast is brought to you on Sacred Heart Catholic Radio by Schneller Knockelman Plumbing, Heating, and Air online at skpha.com. Looks like it's going to be a pretty nice day today, though sticky. Right now, temperatures in the lower 60s as you're heading out the door. For Cincinnati, partly cloudy today and humid with a high of 87 degrees. Clouds increasing tonight with rain chances as we near daybreak with an overnight low tonight of 70. Partly cloudy with a spotty storm chance tomorrow and a high of 88 degrees. For the Miami Valley Dayton area, mix of clouds and sun today and a high of 86. Some clouds with a straight storm possible and an overnight low of 71. Clouds with scattered thunderstorms tomorrow and a high of 88. This is Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, and he helps us stay vigilant on questions related to the medically vulnerable. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. I want to talk about this question of uh, the California assisted suicide law and what disability advocacy groups are suing about. If you could, I mean, this can be a little bit sort of head spinning whenever you get into the legalese of this, but I wonder if you could maybe hand us a summary of what is going on in California. Yes, right. It's, it's, it's encouraging news. It was filed a few weeks ago, Matt, and the disability rights groups, I mean, they're, they're in large part responsible for really pushing back the, the assisted suicide movement. Um, they have a very strong and powerful voice, and they're a strong lobby. 
to try and stop these uh, laws from passing. And what happened in California in 2016, the original law was was passed. It was called the End of Life Option Act uh, in California that allowed terminally ill adults to you know obtain life lethal meds to kill themselves. This is suicide. Uh, so last year they uh, they brought in they removed some of the safeguards to make it easier expanding. Uh, the options for people to kill themselves by assisted suicide. Well, the disability group saw this, and they saw this as an opportunity to go in and file a lawsuit, and they're asking to overturn the entire law, asking the, the, the courts to, to uh, declare unlawful, unlawful and unconstitutional, saying that these recent changes, these expansions that make it easier um, for people with terminal, Ill, Ill, uh, terminal diseases violate the U.S. Constitution and the Americans with Disabilities Act failing to provide equal protection under the law as outlined in the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. So they're going in and they're asking to overturn the entire law, Matt, based on this expansion of the original law passed in California to allow us to be suicide. So it is encouraging. I'm not sure the timeline when the courts will hear this. But I tell you, if they're successful and they overturn this, this could be a really encouraging, who knows, for other states, and maybe there's an opportunity to go in and look at these other state laws and see if there's something similar that can be done to attack these laws in other states where this suicide is currently legal. Well, it is an interesting case uh, to, to look at for a number of reasons, uh, but one of them is the message that it sends. So let's say you're one of these disability advocacy groups and you were to be on the other side of things. So, so let's say, um, you know, for instance, the United Spinal Association is one of the people who's uh, in the in the lawsuit. Let's say that if you were in that group and you were advocating for assisted suicide, then you're telling all people with spine injuries, you know what, we're going to advocate for you, but it'd be better off if you just went ahead and did this, right? I mean, think of the message that you'd be sending to all people with spinal <laughs> conditions, right, that you'd be better off dead than living with this. Right, and, that, and that's kind of their argument, Matt. They're saying these life-ending drugs is more likely to be used, and I'm reading from the article, it said that it's more likely to be used by people with disability and, and racial and ethnic minorities because those groups are less likely to receive proper medical and mental health care. Uh, they, they fear that vulnerable people, these vulnerable people could be pressured into taking their lives by family members or caretakers or feel pressured themselves because they do not want to be a quote-unquote burden. So you're right, Matt. I mean, this is the intent. Uh, they, but, you know, this is the assisted suicide lobby. It, it, it really is a, um, a, another form of health care rationing, cost containment. It's much easier to, to uh, uh, persuade these people to kill themselves rather than to treat them for whatever condition they might have. Well, and this is something that you've dealt with from the very beginning of your organization, the, the trying to get the message out that what really happens, it all gets pitched as you should be able to make your own decisions about the end of your life if it comes to that. But what actually happens is other people essentially using those policies and laws and procedures to make someone else make a decision or to make a decision for somebody else. At the end of the day, it's usually, it ends up being not the person who makes the decision for themselves. 
Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the intent. It's, it's, to, it's to take the decision-making power and put it in the hands of other people. And we talk about this all the time. That's why so, family, so many families call us uh, desperate for help because the medical professionals, the insurance companies, the administrators, the ethics committees, they're all the ones making decisions. You know, it's interesting. It seems like the... <laughs> The only time that the hospital or these insurance companies will agree with you is you want to kill somebody or end their life quickly. But if you want to preserve their life or, or if you're asking for life-affirming treatment and they think your situation is futile, I mean, they'll fight tooth and nail to, to stop that from happening and, and, you know, allow the person, quote-unquote, to die with dignity, so to speak. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's happening from, from, I mean, Obviously, we're fighting many different battles on this issue. It's the culture of death, man. I mean, you're dealing with it with abortion, assisted suicide, uh, health care rationing. It just comes in many forms, but, but it all comes down to people losing their rights in, in these cases to make their own medical decisions or being convinced that they're being burdens to others and, and, and the best, it would be in their best interest to end their lives. Well, the article you sent me came from the Baptist Press, and, you know, there's been you know some interesting ways in which uh, Catholics have sort of stood alone on certain issues related to the culture of life, but where evangelicals have kind of come along on uh, on a lot of questions, especially on uh, questions of, of abortion. This used to be something that evangelicals were not on. They, they were part of like one of the waves that joined us in the fight in the post-Roe v. Wade era. And euthanasia is something I think that can get an even broader coalition of people behind it if people understand the stakes of it, uh, not just Catholics and Protestants, but there are probably plenty of people who are in the disability advocacy world of any faith or no faith at all who could see where this is going and realize the damage that it can do uh, to what they're trying to accomplish in their work, regardless of their faith background. If you're a disability advocacy group and you see where this is headed and what's going on, I mean, I, you don't hardly even need to have faith as part of the conversation to understand why it's bad to advance these assisted suicide laws. Well, you're, you're right, Matt. And, and we work very closely back with my sister's case with the disability rights community. And they, they do not always align with the pro-life position. And we, we were aware of that when, with Terry's uh, situation. But they were, they were on board uh, doing what they could to, to help our family stop this from, you know, stop Terry's uh, death from occurring. In fact, Matt, do, do you know something? Do you know how many disability, local and national disability, disability groups were publicly speaking out, defending Terry's life? Take, take a guess how many groups there were. I mean, I would have no way of even knowing where to begin on that. Well, that's because the media wasn't reporting it, Matt. They, they wanted to frame this as a extremist pro-life coalition Religious that were helping my yeah. Right, exactly. That's why I want to paint my, you know, our family as extremists. There was, four, I, I believe there was 40 or close to 40 local and disability groups that were publicly advocating for Terry's life. And, and you would, you would, it would be very difficult to find any of the media reporting that because they did not want to recognize Terry as a person with a disability. As I said, they were much rather wanted to paint this as, as a political, religious, extremist type of situation. But but the disability rights groups, they're very concerned about these issues, and they're very concerned about just what we're talking about, about um, passing laws that really target people with disabilities to allow them to, to take decision-making process out of their hands or make them feel like they're burdens and, and they would choose death rather than being taken care of. Well, I think you make some important points well worthy of reflection as we try and move forward on, on this and all issues related to the culture of life. Um, you know, we 
obviously are informed by our faith on these questions, but to build that broader coalition, it's important to help people see that this isn't merely a religious, privately held belief we're trying to force on people. This is this is humanity and society we're, we're talking about, and there are a whole lot of people who don't share our faith who understand the weight of these issues and uh, elevating some of those voices to help people understand the bigness of these questions. Uh, I, I pray that helps us gain some ground on them. So, uh, Bobby Schindler, if our listeners want to connect with you and find out more about your work and some of the things you're trying to point to in your defense of the medically vulnerable, how do they get in touch? Sure. Thank you, Matt. It's lifeandhope.com, lifeandhope.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, Bobby. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right, we preview the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston next. It is 13 till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all of you people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. How do you feel about self-driving cars? You can tell us your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, and it's always great to catch up with Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. And uh, we look ahead each week around this time to the Mass readings that we'll hear on Sunday. Father Duncan, good morning. Good to be with you, Matt. There's a lot to dig into uh, when it comes to the uh, <laughs> the readings on Sunday. Uh, the first reading from First Kings about Elijah uh, and trying to hear the voice of God, I, that is one of those just perennial metaphors for the Christian life of prayer. 
Uh, you've got a passage from Romans where Paul is, uh, you know, talking uh, pretty strongly about his conscience compelling him to bear witness. And then we get Jesus walking on water. I mean, you've got some colorful readings to deal with this Sunday. Uh, have you picked what you're going to talk about? You know, I'm still narrowing it down, but you're right. You know, there, there's so many different facets. I think starting with the Lord Jesus and letting that be kind of the lens through which <clears throat> through which we see everything, you know, we begin with... <sighs> This walking, um, this walking on water, and I think we're, we're familiar with the passage. Um, we're familiar with, um, you know, Peter and, and, and the story. But I think it's it's so powerful. Um, the the example of Peter as one who seeks after the Lord Jesus as one who desires to, to come out to him, to, to be drawn closer to him. And yet, in the moment, with fear, with trepidation, as he notices all of, uh, all of the water, you know, the scriptures say that he, he, he began to took note, take, take note of all of the storms and everything, that it's then that he, he loses sight. But I think what's really important about that scene is that, you know, I think we tend to romanticize the sea. And I think it's helpful for us to remember that for, uh, for especially for Mediterranean ancient cultures, the sea and the waters in the sea was really a place of, of darkness and of churning and of chaos. It was a place of, of strange creatures that didn't look like normal creatures that you saw, you know, on the land. And it was a place that, that people feared. And so in this story, for the Lord Jesus to have mastery over that is, again, one more revelation of this is not just a teacher, but this is someone who has control, who has dominion, who peacefully walks across the churning, dark waves, and he does it as easily as he walks across the sand, because he has dominion over all of the frightening bits of our life, all of the frightening bits to us of creation. It's nothing to him. I'm reminded of at the book of Revelation at the very end um, you know, around the throne, there is, and, and Revelation describes it as sea, but he says it's like a sea of glass because the sea is so clear. In other words, to God, this churning, dark, frightening, dangerous thing to us, and certainly to first century fishermen, is, is really nothing more than, than a glass floor. Mm. And so I think beginning from that place of he is the master over all creation. And then Peter crying out to him. Notice how many times he says, Lord, Lord, crying out from the water. Lord, you know, if you will, let me come to you. Um, so I think there's, there's so much in the gospel reading. And then, of course, I think in Romans, Paul is lamenting. He's lamenting what would seem to be 
the fate of his people, his people who are rejecting the gospel, the Jewish people. And, you know, I think that's, that's helpful for us, too, as we pray for and mourn over those around us, maybe family members, maybe friends who've rejected the gospel. Paul is able to really, you know, sometimes we can be a little cocky, and I think Paul is able to give us an example of, Paul is saying, I would, if I could be cut off from Christ and all of these people, my kinsmen according to the flesh brought in, I would do it. And we have to ask, like, are we that passionate about the evangelization of our friends and family? That's a tough question, right? And Paul, of course, using hyperbole to drive home the point. Uh, but you know, sure. I, I'm, I'm reflecting back to your your comments about you know Jesus is Lord of of the sea. One of the scariest things that these fishermen can think of, right? One of the most mysterious things. Uh, you know, I reflect back to last weekend's Feast of the Transfiguration. I mean, what do the people who in first century Palestine rolling around? What do they know the least about? What's up above the clouds and what's underneath the sea, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And Jesus kind of gives a window into what's up above the clouds with the transfiguration. And uh, he's Lord and master over the sea uh, in this reading where he walks on the water. But all this kind of really, uh, you know, adds an added, it's an extra layer of mystery to that first reading from Kings where Elijah is trying to communicate with the Lord and all these extraordinary natural uh, events that are so beyond human control and understanding happen, right? The the wind, the earthquake, the great fire. And yet beyond all that is God. God is master and Lord of all those things. He's not contained by any of those things. Uh, he is something utterly other. I mean, it, he is supernatural. He is above all these natural things uh, that Elijah and Peter are wrestling with in these readings. Absolutely. And and what we see in that Old Testament lesson that kind of points forward to the gospel is that those are all, in a sense, metaphors of, of, of the grandeur and glory and power of God. But ultimately, I think N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, said it best when he said, in Christ, the hurricane has become human. The fire has become flesh. All of the all of that terrifying glory has become whisperable, has become approachable and touchable in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's the good news of the gospel. Man, we got to get NT right in the church, man. We got to we got to get him in there. Father Jonathan Duncan, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. That wraps it up. For the Sunrise Morning Show on a Friday. We'll be back again on Monday. Actually, we won't. We'll be the best of the Sunrise Morning Show all next week. But until then, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. I'm Father Rob Jack. Join me this afternoon for Driving Home the Faith when Ron Hendershot will discuss the revival of the Passion Play of St. John. Steve Ray will speak about his new Bible study on the book of Genesis. I'll reflect on the life of St. Clara of Assisi. There's frequent traffic and weather to get you home safely. That's this afternoon beginning at 4 on Sacred Heart Radio. You're on the road to praise the King. I am Deacon Mike Erb with Coldwell Banker Realty. Proud to support Sacred Heart Radio because I am a faithful listener and I'm happy to help you with buying or selling your home. 513-237-8888.
That's 513-237-888. Support for Sacred Art Radio is from Rua Wood Psychological Services, integrating psychological science and the truths of our Catholic faith with offices in Dayton and Cincinnati. More information at 513-407-8878 or rwpsych.org. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Delhi and Harrison Pet Centers with everything your pet needs from guppies to puppies. Offering curbside pickup in-store and online shopping at DelhiPetCenter.com. That's DelhiPetCenter.com. Support for Sacred Art Radio is from Molly Maid of Westchester. Insured, screened, and drug-free employees deliver service with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. 1-800-MOLLY-MAID or at MollyMade.com. Molly Maid, a clean you can trust. Working to see the culture of life prevail in the Miami Valley, Dayton Right to Life is here to protect God's gift of life through law, education, and community action, from fertilization to natural death. Find Dayton Right to Life online at DaytonLife.org. That's DaytonLife.org. Why wait in endless lines at the pharmacy when Brozard Pharmacy, a proud supporter of Sacred Heart Radio, can fill your prescriptions in a timely manner with high quality. Brozard Pharmacy, fast, friendly service without the wait. At BrosartPharmacy.com. Our bodies are a gift of God, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just as the human body ought to be treated with respect and dignity in life, so it is meant to be treated after death. The Cincinnati Catholic Cemetery Society can help make advance arrangements with their Catholic funeral plan. Pre-planning is especially important to those preparing to enroll in Medicare. It also ensures that you make the arrangements you want, leaving your family without the hardship of planning while grieving. Find out more at 557-2306, extension 319, or online at cccsohio.org. The highest standards, integrity, and best practices are core values at Rainbow International of Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky, your partners in residential and commercial insurance repair and restoration. Rainbow International, proud to support Sacred Heart Radio. 513-271-1000. I'm Father Chet, Artishevitz of the Glen Mary Home Missioners, and thank you so much for listening to Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. 740 WNOP Newport, 910 WPFB Middletown, or get the app, stream, podcast, and more at sacredheartradio.com. Continue on this Friday, August the 11th, by praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit through the intercession of St. Clair, whose feast is today. Our hope is in you, O Lord. We pray for all who lead a life of penance, especially those who follow the order of St. Clair. May their purity of heart shine as a light for all around them. Lord, loving and merciful Father, who grant favors to all who seek you, through the intercession of the Virgin St. Clair, may we draw ever closer to you in poverty of spirit and joy of life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Clair, pray for us. Happy feast day to the folks of St. Clair in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. That's actually the parish where I was received into the Catholic Church uh, Easter Vigil 2005. So uh, happy feast day. Happy name day to you. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. He'll take a look at sports. The Reds did not lose last night. All right. 
We'll see if we can carry that into the weekend. Uh, up this hour, we're going to talk to Joseph Pierce, as we always try to do on a Friday, uh, going through English history with him. Today we talk about Edward VI. Father Hezekiah Carnazzo will share some of his reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, Jesus walking on the water in Sunday's Gospel. We'll catch up with Russell Shaw. It's always great to catch up with Russell because he's got plenty of fascinating reflections on the life of the church. His latest book with David Byers is called Revitalizing Catholicism in America, Nine Tasks for Every Catholic. So get out your notepad and write all nine of those down. And then Randy Petridis is going to be along. He's got a book called How the Saints Shaped History. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Bridgetown Finer Meats and BridgetownFinerMeats.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. Deadly wildfires are still being contained in Hawaii. Governor Josh Green said the fires in Maui have killed at least 53 people and are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the state's history. He said it will take many years to rebuild the town of Lahaina, which will likely cost billions of dollars. He also said thousands have been displaced and the state is hoping to get 2,000 rooms to assist those in need. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, which opens federal funding toward local recovery efforts. An historic Catholic church is among the buildings that have been destroyed in the wildfires, that being the Lanakila Catholic Church, which was established in 1846. The fire also destroyed a 200-year-old church from the United Church of Christ. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy on the Mediterranean Sea. Vatican News reports at least 41 people died. The Holy Father took to Twitter yesterday saying, quote, let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies and let us pray for the victims and their families, end quote. The Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Brian Shook reports. Thursday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. A spokesperson for Purdue Pharma said the company is confident in the legality of its plan of reorganization and optimistic that the Supreme Court will agree. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December and likely issue a ruling early next year. I'm Brian Shook. The Justice Department is proposing a January start date for former President Trump's alleged election interference trial. In a court brief filed yesterday, special counsel Jack Smith proposed a trial date of January 2nd, and prosecutors estimated the trial would take about four to six weeks. Trump faces four federal charges in connection to alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The U.S. is striking a deal with Iran to release five Americans imprisoned in the country. Trey Thomas reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says a delegation from Switzerland helped in the negotiations. The Swiss representative did have an opportunity to meet with all of them once they got out of the prison, uh, see them physically, talk to them, and that's how we know that uh, they're out and uh, that they're generally okay. 
The American detainees will eventually be allowed to leave Iran in exchange for several jailed Iranians and access to about $6 billion in Iranian assets blocked under U.S. sanctions. I'm Trey Thomas. And new rules for use of artificial intelligence will be considered by the Federal Election Commission. The commission voted in favor of considering an amended petition brought by Public Citizen, which is a consumer advocacy group. Democratic Commissioner Ellen Weintraub said it's a, quote, topic that is very timely and very important. Meanwhile, the Republican commissioner expressed doubt about whether the FEC can address the use of AI in campaigns despite voting to hear opinions with the rest of the committee. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens there. 8.06 now on the Sunrise Morning Show and Sports on Sacred Heart Radio is brought to you by Dr. Robert Berger and Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine online at beaconortho.com. Here's Paul Lockman. Well, Matt ruined my joke. So the Reds did not lose yesterday because the Reds did not play. The Reds are back on the diamond tonight. Cincinnati will take the field in Pittsburgh, taking on the Pirates for the first of three. Reds coming off a series loss against the Marlins. Sitting in third place in the NL Central, not really feeling all in all that great about ourselves. Though uh, three games over 500. Cincinnati trails the Brew Crew by two and a half games. Bucks comfortably in fourth place at 52 and 63. Good news on the uh, Little League World Series front. Ohio heading to Williamsport. The uh, team from New Albany, we were worried about that. Oh, New uh, Albany. They Got took it. down Illinois 4-0 yesterday in the uh, Great Lakes Regional Finals. Illinois was undefeated heading into that marquee matchup. Ohio will represent the Great Lakes region when uh, the Little League Baseball World Series kicks off on Wednesday. Speaking of kicks off, how about them Bengals? Bengals, get started tonight. Gearing up for preseason game number one at Paycor Stadium. The Green Bay Packers take on the Cincinnati Bengals. No Joe Burrow. No Joe Burrow. No Joe Burrow. Wow. Don't don't even uh, if you I mean how is he doing? He's, I, he looks great. He looks great. I mean, he like wear, he's, he's been, got he's, the he started uh, practicing right. He was wearing like the uh, Fisher hat and he's got like the full leg sleeve and he's just walking around like the the mm-hmm. cool kid out of school. Is he? Everybody's in uniform. He's what are, kinda what is like the, the prognosis here? Is he going to be ready? weeks. So here it is. Zach, Zach Taylor says the timeline for his return hasn't changed several weeks from when I said several weeks. So, I mean, he he's just, <laughs> I, I love it. I understand. Everybody has, a, everybody has a job to do. But, I you know, the, the question is going to be the same today as it is going to be two weeks from now. It, it, Joe, how how's it, how is it? How's the calf? You know, it, mm-hmm. it it'll be fine when it'll be fine. I I'm not worried about uh, a week one of preseason, but it is something we will monitor. And well, as, of course, uh, and of course, as we always love to quote Matt Swain, we shall see. We shall see. All right, let's get to uh, traffic now. Traffic, a service of Larkin Cobb Chevrolet, Buick, and GMC in Eaton, Ohio. 
on the web at LarkinCobb.com. What you got, Anna? Um, there is an accident on the right shoulder of southbound 75 at the Norwood Lateral, which is uh, causing traffic to stack up behind it. You're backed up through the Lachlan split. That's about it in the Cincinnati area. And then in Dayton, an accident on the right shoulder of the ramp from southbound 75 to Wagner Ford. And so the merge lane is um, causing some problems here. You're going to be backed up past Benchwood or right up to Benchwood, maybe not past it just yet. So you're going to need a little extra time on southbound 75 in the Dayton area. Okay, now for weather. Not too bad. I mean, it's going to be humid, but, you know, what are you going to do? Partly cloudy, sticky, a high of 87 today in Cincinnati. Clouds increasing tonight. And as we go through the night, getting closer to daybreak tomorrow, there will be more of a rain chance. Looking at an overnight low of 70 tonight, partly cloudy with a spotty storm chance tomorrow and a high of 88 degrees. For the Miami Valley Dayton area, a mix of clouds and sun today and a high of 86. Some clouds tonight with a stray shower or storm possible and an overnight low of 71. Clouds tomorrow with scattered thunderstorms and a high of 88 degrees. Today is Friday, August the 11th, the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi, also St. Philomena, an early virgin and martyr. Pray for us. It's 11 past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Joseph Pierce, currently the St. John Henry Newman Visiting Chair of Catholic Studies at Thomas More College in Merrimack, New Hampshire. He's with the Augustine Institute and the St. Austin Review. You can join his inner sanctum and support his work at jpierce.co. And we're going through his book, Faith of Our Fathers, A History of True England. Good morning, Joseph. Good morning, Anna. So, Joseph, we have spent a number of weeks discussing things that happened during the reign of terror of King Henry VIII. Now, after he died, his son Edward takes over the throne for a few years. And he was just like, what, nine years old, I think, when he took the throne. So, (laughs) So Catholics had some hope that conditions might improve for them under the boy king. Did that happen? Oh, absolutely not. In fact, things got worse. Uh, because he was only nine years old, he, he, he was really just a, a puppet of, of his so-called advisors. Um, and uh, they uh, were basically interested only in consolidating the power and wealth they grabbed from the church. I mean, this, these, these are the new elites that have become even wealthier, more powerful because of the, uh, of, of the pillaging of, of, of the, the monasteries and, uh, and what have you. So no, they, they, they were only interested in, in consolidating the power they already had. So now there, was a, there was an initial hope, obviously, uh, when Henry died, um, and certainly Cardinal Pohl in, in Rome wrote to the Pope um, suggesting that perhaps we could see the restoration of, uh, of Catholicism in England following, following the death of Henry VIII, but this... this uh, turned out to be anything but the case. Can you um, tell us about the power of Thomas Cranmer during this time? Yeah, so basically Thomas Cranmer um, was uh, the person who uh, wrote, wrote the, uh, the the prayer book, which would become the basis, it would replace the mass, would be the basis of the, the new state religion's uh, Protestant services. It was basically rooted in the, the theology of uh, 
of John Calvin. Um, you know, his prose is beautiful. I mean, even Hilaire Belloc, who's certainly no friend of, of Fanmer's, he wrote a biography of Fanmer's, that acknowledged that he's one of the finest writers in the English language. So there's a beauty to to this this book of common prayer. Um, but the point is, it's it's not the mass. And uh, and Thomas Cranmer, with the uh, with the um, uh, alliance allegiance with the government, um, basically used his new prayer book. To, to to base uh, basically build up a new religion with a new new service that, that allows them to abolish the mass. Yeah, and so what happens to the sacraments during this time? Well, I mean, this is a full blown uh, Protestant revolt. So, uh, of the seven sacraments, uh, only two remain: um, uh, baptism and, and um, uh, marriage. I think I'm not sure. I'm not a Protestant theologian, um, but it, it, the other. Five of the seven baptisms were uh, sacraments were abolished um, under the reign of Edward VI and his advisers, and uh, pushed forward by Thomas Cranmer, as you rightly say. Um, and of course, this is ironic because uh, only about twenty or thirty years earlier, Henry VIII had had uh, written his uh, his defence of the seven sacraments of the Church. So you know, his own tyranny had led basically to the destruction of the uh, of the uh, the religion which he had so vociferously defended before he went mad. Joseph, you write in the book, it says, in December 1547, a royal proclamation was issued which forbade any public discussion of the doctrine of the Eucharist till the king, by the advice of his council and clergy, should define the doctrine and what form of words might safely be used about it. The king and his council defining the Eucharist? Wow. I'm, yeah, absolutely crazy, right? So you've got, you've got a nine-year-old boy <laughs> who's basically being advised by, by ruthless politicians who um, have no belief in the Eucharist, as Catholics would understand it, uh, not, not just de- de- deciding they have the right to define uh, what the Eucharist is, but basically banning any discussion that contradicts them. I mean, this, this, is, this is absolute totalitarian tyranny. Yeah, it really is. So what was the state of, I mean, obviously there were so many who who were hung, drawled, and quartered, um, you know, martyrs under the reign of, of Henry VIII. Did that, uh, did that kind of calm down under Edward, or, or what was the state of, of actual persecution on the persons of Catholics? Well, on, on, the, on the contrary, that the persecution, if anything, increased during Edward VI. And, and for me, one of the most noble and glorious, even though it was bloody, uh, episodes in English history was the way that the whole country basically rose up to defend the mass. So mm. uh, the day after, it, it, it was the, mass, the mass was banned at Pentecost with, with Sunday. Um, and um, the day after, uh, there were risings all over the country from the west, uh, that then Devon Cornwall, uh, not not the north, because uh, only about 12 years earlier, of course, the, the, the great pilgrimage of grace, which had, the, where the north of England rose up in defense of the monasteries, that was put down with such brutality with thousands of people being butchered uh, that the north was a bit worried about wow. <laughs> you know, that, that recent memory. But the rest of the country, literally from, you know, from Lincolnshire in the Midlands um, to, to Essex in the southeast, the, the county in which I was born, rose up to defend the mass. And, and you know, for me, you know, to have a whole country rising in defense of the, the seven sacraments and the holy sacrifice of the mass is one of the most noble moments in all of human history and certainly one of the most noble moments in the history of my country. And, I'm, you know, I, 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 it, it lifts my heart, even though I'm saddened, of course, by 
the way it was put down, the brutality was put down, thousands of people being butchered um, without trial. Joseph, can I confess that I didn't know about this uprising? Well, it would, it would not surprise me. I mean, obviously, the, the English uh, have done their best to smother these mm-hmm. aspects of England's history uh, because it's a uh, first week that goes against the, the, the narrative of, of so-called liberation from, from, from the Church of Rome and, and the fairy story that the English people you know, wanted to shake off the church, which is the complete opposite. It was the rich. They wanted to enrich themselves on the church. The people that stood up and defended the church, defended the sacraments, defended the mass with their lives. I mean, we're talking about thousands of lives. Wow. You can read more about it in Faith of Our Fathers, A History of True England, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking to Joseph Pierce. Joseph, thank you so much. My pleasure as well, Anna. God bless you. You too. Thank you, Joseph. All right. It's 18 past. We're back with traffic and weather right after this. I'm Father Rob Jack. Join me this afternoon for Driving Home the Faith when Ron Hendershot will discuss the revival of the Passion Play of St. John. Steve Ray will speak about his new Bible study on the book of Genesis. I'll reflect on the life of St. Clara of Assisi. There's frequent traffic and weather to get you home safely. That's this afternoon beginning at 4 on Sacred Heart Radio. You're on the road to Christ the King. For Catholics, being united with God for eternity is the goal of earthly life. A Catholic cemetery is sacred because it holds our bodies, once temples of the Holy Spirit, until the Lord comes again. The Archdiocese of Cincinnati has consecrated Gate of Heaven Catholic Cemetery to provide this ministry and remind us that life is not ended, but changed. Today, you can ensure that you and your loved ones are interred in accordance with your faith. Call 513-489-0300 or visit gateofheaven.org. Food makes the party. And you can find the perfect party foods at Bridgetown Finer Meats, a proud supporter of Sacred Heart Radio. From mini sandwiches to their jumbo pretzel sandwich, meat and cheese or vegetable and relish trays, Bridgetown Finer Meats can make hosting a party a breeze. And choose your wine while you're there. The BFM Wine Shop has high-quality wines from all over the world. Bridgetown Finer Meats on Bridgetown Road, 513-574-3100, on the web at bridgetownfinermeats.com. Hi, I'm Guy Cagney with the Cagney family and Coble Banker Real Estate, proud to support Sacred Heart Radio. Our Catholic faith is the center of our family life and how we do our real estate business. Hope that you and your family will remain safe and healthy this year. 513-347-1888. Proud supporter of Sacred Heart Radio, Cincinnati Right to Life ensures that God-given rights are guaranteed for all simply by being human, regardless of age or stage, ability or disability. More information at 1-800-712-HELP. Before St. John Henry Newman died in 1890, he said of the Eucharist, A cloud of incense was rising high. The people suddenly all bowed low. What could it mean? It was the Lord incarnate who was on the altar. It was the great presence which makes a Catholic church different from every other place in the world, which makes it, as no other place can be, holy. Thank God for the Catholic Church. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Precious Blood Father, Kevin Scalf. 21 minutes past the hour now, and this traffic report is a service of Rose Automotive, pre-owned vehicles on Erie Highway in Hamilton, on the web at roseautomotivegroup.com. Things have cleared up in the Dayton area, so you're moving uh, just fine through there. Southbound 75 in the Cincinnati area, still running a little slow as you head through and out of the Lachlan split. 
Now for weather, mostly cloudy and warmer today, sticky as well, with a high of 87 degrees in Cincinnati. Clouds increasing tonight with an overnight low of 70. Some rain chances as we get closer to daybreak. Tomorrow, partly cloudy with a spotty storm chance and a high of 88. For the Miami Valley-Dayton area, mix of clouds and sun today and a high of 86. Some clouds tonight with a stray shower possible and an overnight low of 71. Clouds tomorrow with scattered thunderstorms and a high of 88 degrees. Coming up next on the Sunrise Morning Show, Father Hezekiah Carnazzo previews the Sunday Mass readings. It's 22 past. Subscribe. Yes, by clicking the red subscribe button at sacredheartradio.com, you'll get an email with our show notes with the list of guests you'll hear that day on the Sunrise Morning Show or Driving Home the Faith. You'll also get the links to books, articles, and websites we've discussed and the full podcast with markers to find and hear the interview again. So to know when your favorite guests are on the Sunrise Morning Show and Driving Home the Faith, go to sacredheartradio.com and click subscribe. St. Vincent de Paul, Northern Kentucky, understands the importance of a helping hand when life becomes difficult. Through the grace of God and the amazing generosity of volunteers and donors, St. Vincent de Paul, Northern Kentucky has been able to provide over $200,000 in rent and utility assistance to nearly 2,000 neighbors in need in the last 12 weeks alone. The prayer is to continue to faithfully serve those in need well into the future. To learn how you can help, visit svdpnky.org and follow along on social media. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from J.C. Health Insurance agent George Justin. If you're turning 65, retiring, or simply have Medicare questions, George has answers. George is your pro-family, pro-life guide to Medicare, helping to simplify your transition by guiding you through the options to find a plan that meets your unique needs, all at no cost to you. Find out more from George Johnston at J.C. Health Insurance, 859-414-6591. That's 859-414-6591. Sacred Heart Radio is blessed to have the support of Larkin Cobb Chevrolet Buick GMC in Eaton, Ohio, offering a wide range of new and used cars, trucks, and SUVs with on-site financing. Larkin Cobb, close to Eaton, Richmond, Dayton, and Brookville. On the web at LarkinCobb.com. on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Andy. It's such a blessing to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, and it's great to have you back. And so looking at the readings for Mass this upcoming Sunday, the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and the Gospel for this weekend is from Matthew chapter 14, um, the story of Jesus walking on the water. But It starts off saying, after he had fed the people, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and proceed him to the other sides. Then he goes up on a mountain to pray by himself and then comes to them walking on the water. It appears that the Sea of Galilee is in great turmoil. So I have a lot of questions about this. Why did he tell them to get on a boat and proceed him to the other side? Why is he going up on the mountain by himself to pray? And then why does he come to them walking on water? Annie, your questions are great because they're asking questions of Jesus. And this is what we got to do when we do Bible study. You got to say why. And asking questions of why of, of things that don't seem to be all that important is super important. He, he tells the disciples again into the boat, if you know the, the context of the story, because the um, the Herodians, the, the the servants, the soldiers of, of Herod, are waiting to arrest him. 
he's gotten himself at this point in the gospel in a whole bunch of trouble, and he, he because he's he's doing things which prove that he is the Messiah, the King, and of course Herod doesn't want that. This is the son, by the way, of Herod the Great, uh, who divided his kingdom among his sons, and the Sea of Galilee is split in two, right down the middle by the line of the Jordan River. On one side, Herod's son, Herod, and on the other side, Philip, okay, whose wife Herod stole. You know the story mm-hmm. of John the Baptist, okay? Yep. So there's two political vine, uh, powers up in Galilee, two brothers, and Jesus continually goes to the other side, that's the other side of the line, the other side of the Jordan River, across the Sea of Galilee to their side. When he starts to get himself in trouble, he gets himself in trouble with the multiple loads of fishes because he's got, how many people are there? 5,000 men, that doesn't count the women and children, so at least 15,000, maybe 20,000 people yeah. gathered together, and they're all chanting that he is the Christ, he's the one that's fed them, he's the one that's going to save, save the Jews. It's, and so Herod's got to put this guy down. He has to. So he, as soon as he does the miracle and the people are saying, yeah, he's the Messiah, the soldiers who are behind the scene are looking to arrest him. So he says, get out of Dodge. Get out of here. He puts on the boat and says, go to the other side. That's to Philip's territory. Okay. Then he himself goes up to the mountain to pray in his lonely place. There's a cave right there on the side of the Sea of Galilee where this miracle took place. Many of the tourists don't realize it, but there's the cave is right there. It goes up, and Jesus sits inside this cave overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He's sitting on a throne. It's amazing. Mm. And, and he, he could see the this, this storm coming because during that time of the year, storms would come from the east rolling across the Sea of Galilee. And he saw this storm coming. He knew what was taking place, and there... He sees the apostles get themselves into trouble. That's absolutely fascinating and actually kind of links us then to the the story in the first reading from Kings 19. I mean, we're, we're seeing Elijah told to come out of the cave and look for the Lord passing by. Yeah, you know, the church places before us a beautiful theme of prayer. It is symbolized by the cave, but then... The, the presence of the Lord in the midst of the problems going on, you have to realize that the, the storm going on around Elijah, the storm going on around, around Jesus, isn't just the wind. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a political storm because Elijah in this Old Testament reading is being hunted by Je- the evil Queen Jezebel, and he's going to be killed. They're going to look to kill him, just like they're going to look to kill Jesus. It's the same story. But notice the presence of the Lord in the midst of the strife, and coming to us not as we normally expect. Yeah, we want, oh, we want God to come and shoot lightning down and appear mm-hmm. in all of his glory. But this is not the way the Lord works. It's a, quite a tiny whispering sound he appears. We have to become people who listen again, people of prayer, people who are found in the cave, who are uh, uh, looking for the Lord. Now, he's not going to come crashing into our life like that, but he's all around us, constantly protecting us, constantly guiding us, always there in the midst of this of the struggle and the strife of our life. Annie, can I share with you a beautiful quotation from St. Augustine on this, on this beautiful passage in the Gospel? Oh, please do. Okay, here's what he says. The boat carrying the disciples, that is the church, is rocking and shaking amidst the storms of temptation while the adverse wind rages on. That is to say, its enemy, the devil, strives to keep the wind from calming down. But greater is he who, per, who is persistent on our behalf amid the vicissitudes of our life. He gives us confidence. He comes to us and strengthens us. So we are not jostled in the boat and tossed overboard. And this, isn't this, isn't this a, a, today yes. a, such an applicable text, the gospel and, and, and image? The church is being, being, being 
thrashed about by all of the, the problems that are taking place, being attacked, and we ourselves feel like we're going to be tossed overboard. But we have to stay safely in the boat. We have to be protected by the gift that Jesus gives us, and he's present. That's the other thing. He's present in all of this. He's, he's here to protect us and guide us. If only we would trust in him. If only we would reach out and take hold of his hand. And amidst all of this craziness going on in our world, and all of the attacks, and all of the temptations, it looks like our church is being torn apart. The Lord is present, just like he was in the life of Elijah, just as, he, as, as, as Jesus was present in the life of the disciples. Oftentimes difficult to perceive. Calm down. Look around. See the, the fingerprint of the Lord, the presence of God in our life. Mm-hmm. He's I, here, and he'll guide the church. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, looking at that reading in, in Kings, you know, all of these things are happening around Elijah, and he knows that the Lord was not in them. But it says, after the fire, there was a tiny whispering sound. And, you know, Father, so many times in, in times of turmoil, like we find ourselves in today, as in any time, really, in, in history, we look around and we say, where is the Lord in this? Well, we've got to be attuned to hear that tiny whispering sound amid all of the noise around us. Absolutely. If you look at the epistles, the same story. St. Paul's dealing with all the, the political storm, the fallout from his conversion to Christ around him. It's, all, it's, there, it's, it's been the same from the beginning of the world. The Lord's present. And look at the trick of the devil. To get our lives so busy, to be so constantly on the cell phone, constantly on the computer, constantly with the phone calls, constant, constant, constant to distract us. We're going to stop and smell the roses. I'm serious about that. In the coming week, stop and smell a rose. Because we keep walking past all of the, all of the beautiful miracles the Lord places in our life and become people that see again and hear again. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to connect with you and check out the resources at the Institute, how do they find them? Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Come check us out. And you can find it linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Thank you so much, Father Hezekiah. 32 minutes past the hour now. It's time for news. Fires in Hawaii are continuing to take a toll on the island of Maui. Governor Josh Green said the fires are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the history of the state, with 55 people confirmed dead so far. Progress is being made, but none of the fires is 100% contained. Green said it will take many years to rebuild the West Maui town of Lahaina, which will likely cost billions of dollars. The exact number of those killed and missing will not be known for days. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, opening federal funding towards state and local recovery efforts. Among the buildings destroyed was a historic Catholic church, the Maria Lanaquila Catholic Church, which was established in 1846. The fire also destroyed a church from the United Church of Christ, which had just celebrated its 200th anniversary. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy on the Mediterranean. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. With sorrow, I heard about the news of the shipwreck involving migrants in the Mediterranean Sea. Let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies, Pope Francis tweeted on his at Pontifex account. And let us pray for the victims and their families. 
According to Italian authorities, more than 90,000 people have reached Italy this year after crossing the Mediterranean Sea. That's more than double the number compared to the same time period last year. They are fleeing conflicts in countries like Sudan, South Sudan and Ethiopia, insecurity in the Sahel regions and beyond. Drought and famine in the Horn of Africa, the climate crisis throughout the African continent that has devastated crops, herds and livelihoods. The route is also used by refugees fleeing persecution and violence in Afghanistan, in Syria and in other Middle Eastern and Asian nations. The International Organization for Migration reports that the Mediterranean crossing is one of the most dangerous migrant routes in the world. It estimates that almost 28,000 people have gone missing at sea since 2014. Pope Francis, who has described the Mediterranean as Europe's largest cemetery, has repeatedly appealed to leaders and policymakers to protect the lives and dignity of our brothers and sisters on the move. He is scheduled to travel to the French port city of Marseille on the 22nd and 23rd of September as part of an initiative to foster dialogue between Mediterranean political and religious leaders of different faiths and address the region's shared problems posed by increasing migration patterns, economic inequality, climate issues, interreligious dialogue. I'm Linda Bodoni. The Justice Department is proposing a January start date for former President Trump's alleged election interference trial. In a court brief filed yesterday, special counsel Jack Smith proposed a trial date of January 2nd, and prosecutors have estimated the trial would take four to six weeks. Trump faces four federal charges in connection to alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. Meanwhile, President Biden has called on Congress for $24 billion for Ukraine. Brian Shook has more. But some congressional Republicans have been hesitant about putting any more money toward Ukraine's efforts as the war continues with no signs of stopping soon. The Republicans say more oversight is needed to see exactly where the $45 billion already sent to Ukraine went. A CNN poll released last week found 55% of Americans believed Congress should not authorize additional funding. I'm Brian Shook. And Pope Francis has appointed a delegate to try to resolve a liturgy dispute in the Syro-Malabar Church in India. The Catholic News Agency reports the debate is over which direction a priest should face when celebrating the liturgy and has led to hunger strikes and burning effigies of bishops. Pope Francis has intervened directly several times to try to resolve the conflict. 8.36 now on the Sunrise Morning Show and Sports on Sacred Heart Radio is brought to you by Dr. Robert Berger and Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine online at beaconortho.com. Here's Paul Lockman. Well, we're still in uh, baseball mood. Reds had an off day yesterday, hopefully have regrouped after a series loss to the Miami Marlins. Reds sit two and a half games back of the Milwaukee Brewers, but uh, hit the diamond tonight. And take on the Pittsburgh Pirates in Pittsburgh. Reds sit in uh, third place in the NL Central with a 60-57 and 57 record. Ohio is heading to Williamsport as the uh, team from New Albany took down Illinois 4-0 in 
in the Great Lakes Region Final to advance to uh, the Little League Baseball World Series. Uh, the uh, Ohio team will represent the Great Lakes Region as they hit the uh, Little League World Series kicks off on Wednesday. How about tonight? The Bengals are taking the field at uh, Paycor Stadium and uh, will take on the Green Bay Packers. Star quarterback Joe Burrow returned to the practice field during a joint session, but uh, yeah, his timetable for his return is still several weeks. So uh, still Burrow uh, still has an injured calf uh, from uh, earlier in training camp. That's a uh, look at sports. We got more on the Sunrise Morning Show right after this. Have you heard how much louder and how consistent the audio levels are when listening to Sacred Heart Radio on our app, stream, podcast, smart speaker, and especially when listening on your car radio through Bluetooth? This important technical upgrade was requested and paid for by you. Thank you. And to let us hear how your listening experience could be better, just click on the send voicemail icon at sacredheartradio.com. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Dr. Robert Berger at Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Dr. Berger has been recognized by Cincinnati Magazine nearly every year over the past 20 years as one of the top physicians in orthopedic surgery, and he serves as team physician for Xavier University, Mount St. Joseph University, and LaSalle High School. Dr. Berger treats patients of all ages at the Beacon West office on Harrison Avenue and on the east side at Cincinnati Sports Club. For more information, 513-354-3700, online at beaconortho.com. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Rose Automotive, serving the Hamilton area with a wide selection of pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Rose Automotive, celebrating over 30 years of automotive excellence. On Erie Highway in Hamilton, roseautomotivegroup.com. Sacred Heart Radio is brought to you by you. Yes, your donations make Catholic Radio possible, so to give a gift of any amount, please visit sacredheartradio.com and click Donate or call 513-731-7740. And thank you. I'm Dominican Father Henry Stephan, a Marian prayer by St. Thomas Aquinas. Mother of mercy, I entrust to you my body and my soul, my thoughts and my actions, my life and my death. My queen, come to my aid. Deliver me from the snares of the devil. Obtain for me the grace of loving my Lord Jesus Christ, your son, with a true and perfect love. And after him, O Mary, of loving you with all my heart and above all things. Amen. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and it's always great to have back Russell Shaw, who, along with David Byers, has a new book called Revitalizing Catholicism in America, Nine Tasks for Every Catholic. Russell, welcome back. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. So, according to the Internet, looking around the social media, I have seen plenty of people who say that there's only one thing that needs to happen to revitalize Catholicism in America, and it tends to be whatever the hobby horse is. Uh, and conversely, I know some people who have about a 5,000-point list of what has to happen to revitalize the church. So how did you settle on nine tasks for every Catholic here? Well, it wasn't an, it was, was a pretty arbitrary decision, you know. I, we, I, thought, I, I thought, and Dave, Dave joined me in this, uh, of as many uh, specific activities and, and responses as, as seemed really re- relevant, but we didn't try, weren't aiming for 
any particular number. It just happened to come out at nine. Actually, it's number one and two are the ones that really matter, and number one is uh, heed the universal call to holiness, which was the Second Vatican Council's way of saying that we all ought to be saints. And number two is uh, discern, accept, and live out your personal vocation, which uh, is absolutely crucial to this notion of uh, rescuing Catholicism, if you will. Well, those sound like really revolutionary and interesting ideas, except they're embedded in all Christians of goodwill of every era, right? I mean, in some ways... Uh, this isn't new information, uh, but you know I think that there is uh, very much a sense uh, among lay Catholics that that we have a bigger role in this than some of us might have thought in previous generations. Of course, I'm a Catholic convert, so this was always sort of textbook stuff for us. You know, you follow Jesus, you have a big job to do now. You got to go. Uh, share that with the whole wide world, and Catholics have, I think, caught on more uh, in the in you know recent years than they perhaps did in you know the 80s. But there's still a lot of work to do here, right? Well, indeed, yes. You know, uh, do the lay people have a, a larger responsibility now than in the past? I would I would say they do, and the reason is, is uh, somewhat disturbing. It uh, lies in the fact that the, the number of Catholic priests in the United States has dropped very substantially in recent years, and uh, it's going to continue dropping for an uh, uncertain amount of time in the future. And what that means, basically, is that either a lot of the things that we've counted on priests to do are not going to get done, or they are going to have to be done by lay people, and that's what our book is uh, urging laity to face up to. You can sit on your hands and, and watch what happens from the sidelines, but you aren't going to like it if you <laughs> what you see if you do that. The only way to uh, make the crisis of the church a little less painful than it's going to be is to pitch in and lend a hand and uh, do your bit as an active and, and committed Catholic layperson. Well, I think part of this, too, comes from some confusion perhaps picked up from our Protestant brothers and sisters about what a priest is for. And uh, there are people who would advocate for different kinds of uh, groups being admitted to the priesthood because of this misunderstanding. Um, it, really, the priest is there to help give us the sacraments. Uh, the priest doesn't have to be the building manager. The priest doesn't have to be the person who oversees the repaving of the parking lot. The priest doesn't have to be, you know, the guy who runs the finance committee. The priest doesn't have to be any of those things. Uh, the priest very often is. The priest very often can be. But I think as lay people, you know, those would be some pretty good places for us to do a better job of stepping up so the priest can do what the priest is built for. Oh, you're 100% correct. You know, canon law requires that uh, the parish have a, a priest as, as pastor, but there's no job description of, uh, of pastor in, uh, in canon law. And as a matter of fact, your way of putting it, I think, is, is 100% correct, that the fundamental task of the priest is pastoral and sacramental, and uh, the administrative side of, of pastoring could very well be handled by lay people. And as a matter of fact, as time passes and the shortage of priests increases, more and more lay 
men and women are stepping up as uh, uh, administrators of parishes. Well, I've found that in uh, my own parish and the parishes that I've been in, sometimes uh, these summer months where you have a lot of the uh, the priests getting reshuffled and sent to different parishes and things get mixed up a little bit, uh, this can either – well, I mean, it can be a real – gut check for parishes <laughs> to say, are we who we are because of the last guy who was our pastor, or are we who we are because of, you know, who we are to this community? And, you know, sometimes if you lean too hard on one priest and the priest moves on to another parish after six or seven years, that can reveal a lot of things, or it can reveal, uh, you know, some of the strengths of what that parish community is to really step up and say, hey, uh, it doesn't matter which pastor we get in. We're going to welcome him. We're going to work alongside him. And in this time where we're figuring things out, we're all going to step up and make this transition happen. I mean, you can see it as either a liability or an opportunity. Well, I would wish that uh, you know the people of every parish would love their pastor, or, or at least like him pretty well. But, but uh, as for a personality cult of the sort you described, no, that's 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 unhealthy and uh where where it occasionally happens uh, just leads to problems for everybody the parish and the, and the priest and everybody concerned so um love your pastor but uh be w- quite ready to welcome a new pastor when he arrives on the scene and yeah there's a there's a lot more in your book um i really encourage people to go check it out every time you write on catholicism any of your books that have catholicism in america in the title russell they're on my shelf so well, god uh, bless you <laughs> thank you for continuing to reflect on these things and you've got a lot of great experience that you bring to bear on the questions we've got your book revitalizing catholicism in america nine tasks for every catholic linked at sunrisemorningshow.com Thanks again, Russell Shaw. Have a wonderful day. You too. All right, 13 till. We're back right after this. Jesus said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Do business with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Check out the angels list on sacredheartradio.com. It's a list of businesses who underwrite Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. And if you'd like to get your business on the angels list, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. For over 90 years, the Jesuit Spiritual Center at Milford has enriched the spiritual lives of youth and adults, offering Catholic retreats based on Ignatian spirituality. Enter into the silence of a weekend retreat and experience the great treasures of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Register now at JesuitSpiritualCenter.com. That's JesuitSpiritualCenter.com. In the past decade, more people have chosen natural or green options when planning a funeral, and the Cincinnati Catholic Cemetery Society can help. Natural or green burials are actually quite traditional. It's how people were laid to rest for most of human history. Find out more about natural or green options for burial or cremation at the Cincinnati Catholic Cemetery Society, where they also offer zero financing for pre-planning. The Cincinnati Catholic Cemetery Society, 557-2306, extension 319, or at cccsohio.org. 
For over 50 years, the St. Martin District of St. Vincent de Paul has been providing food, clothing, rent, and utility assistance to people in six counties of Southern Ohio. You can join the St. Martin District of St. Vincent de Paul in helping our neighbors with a monetary or vehicle donation, which is simple and easy. 800-322-8284 or donate online at runforthepoor.org. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. It's 10 till. Happy to welcome to the Sunrise Morning Show, Randall Petritis. His new book is called How the Saints Shaped History. Randall, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And it's a pleasure to be on your show, Annie. Well, it is a pleasure to have you. You know, we think of saints as models of holiness, rightfully so. They are models of holiness. But what do you mean by them shaping history? Well, uh if you look at what God has done in the history of the church and try to look at where the Holy Spirit has been working, the best way to do that is to look at those people who are most open to the grace of the Holy Spirit and most open to being disciples of Christ, and that would be the saints. So if you follow the saints, you can see what God has done throughout history. And, you know, the church is not just a human institution like some histories will uh, will describe it, but it's also a divine institution. So uh, when you look at the saints and what they did in their place in history, you can see the uh, the arc of grace throughout these last 2,000 years. So it's a little bit of a different approach to the saints. As you say, uh, being inspired by the holiness is front and center to what the saints can be for us. But we can also learn about you know what God has done through history and how he sustains us, how we can have hope when we look at how saints have actually been the uh, history makers uh, throughout the last 2,000 years. Well, when you read through secular history textbooks, for instance, you probably have very little, if any, knowledge of saints who had an effect on the course of history. I mean, they're more focused on, on political and military leaders. And I mean, certainly there has been some overlap, but... How do you take us through history and show how the saints have have fit into shaping the world? Well, uh, my book is a narrative history of the Catholic Church and of the Christian experience for the last 2,000 years. So I sought to tell a story, um, but when I first started writing it, uh, it was a pure history. I kept seeing it's the saints who are right there uh, making... uh, uh, pulling us out of problems, uh, leading the, uh, the way forward, getting us out of heresies, uh, so to speak. And and so uh, what I've done, there's about 180 saints that uh, I focus on. Most of them are the more well-known saints, and they're more well-known because they're the ones who impacted history uh, very profoundly. So uh, I just walk us through and look what this, this saint did. Look at how God raised up, for example, in the... Um, 
in the fourth century when we had perhaps the greatest crisis in church history, the Arian crisis. Look how he raised up Athanasius and Basil and Gregory and Cyril and all these people all at the same time who by their holiness, their brilliance, and their persistence got us out that. And, you know, that is, when you look at the church as divine as well as human, that is the real history, as you say, not just the political and the military aspects of our history, which are, which are, are, are uh, valid, but the real history is our, our spiritual history, how God has um, um, guided uh, his people uh, throughout the ages and rescued them and um, uh, put them back on a, on a good path. And he did that, I, I noticed, to the saints. That's why I think they are really front and center in the history of the church. Yeah, for sure. So I started off by talking about how saints obviously uh, most obviously in our minds are our models of holiness. But thinking about that, is there anyone in here off the top of your head who, I mean, you mentioned a lot of these saints are very famous, but they're famous for their holiness primarily, right? So is there anyone in here who might surprise us as as a shaper of history? Uh, sometimes uh, it, it, it's just fascinating for me to see uh, the, uh, the smaller saints who uh, shape history in, a, in an outsized way based upon what they did. I don't know if this is a direct answer to your question, but even starting from Mary Magdalene, um, mm-hmm. uh, converted to, to, to Jesus by uh, his ministry to her and was very devoted to him. And uh, because of that devotion, she's there at the tomb, and she's there to see Jesus, and she's there to get a task and her task was to tell the, uh, uh, the the disciples who were holed up out of fear uh, that no need to fear. I have risen. Um, I will be with you. And so she got the church going just by delivering a message. And uh, look at, uh, um, say, St. Uh, Clotilda, who lived in the 4th century. She was married to King Clovis of the Franks. It's just at the time when the Franks were being the dominant Germanic tribe, and that was important. And uh, she was Christian. He was pagan. She spent uh, the better part of their early marriage seeking to convert him to the faith. And uh, eventually, by 496, she was successful. And just at the time when the Franks were um, dominating the other tribes, it opened the door for the Christian faith to be spread throughout all Europe. Uh, And... uh, those, you might say, little saints who had an outsized impact on history just by being faithful, just yeah. by doing the the, the, the simple things uh, in, in devotion to our Lord. Yeah, it's really incredible. We're talking to Randall Petritus, whose book is called How the Saints Shaped History. And Randall, my last question for you with just about a minute left is, what do you think all of this tells us about God? It tells us that God is faithful. Uh, whenever we see, including in our present times, uh, reasons to be deeply concerned about the state of affairs in the church of the world, God is faithful. Whenever things seem to be very difficult, he will give us grace. And on one of the main ways he does that is by raising up a body of saints so we can have hope because of the faithfulness of God that uh, in our own times uh, we can expect, and I'm sure it's happening as we speak, uh, he will raise up new saints to 
to to help us through the times we have today. So I would say that's the main lesson. God is faithful because he loves us. He will not abandon us, Jesus said. Uh, He will be with us always. And uh, the history of the saints shows that uh, very well. The book is called How the Saints Shaped History. Such a cool book, Randall. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a great day. Thank you very much, Jenny. You bet. All right, that'll do it for this Friday edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. God bless you. For more than 150 years, the Komboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Kombonias and inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. Many times, the death of a loved one occurs while they are away from home. Depending on the distance, this expense could cost their family tens of thousands of dollars. To help families, the Cincinnati Catholic Cemetery Society offers the Travel Plan, which assists in bringing home a loved one if death occurs more than 100 miles from their residence. A reasonable one-time fee provides a lifetime of coverage. Find out more about the Travel Plan at the Cincinnati Catholic Cemetery Society, 557-2306, extension 319, or online at cccsohio.org. Support for Sacred Heart Radio is from Twin Dental of Cincinnati. Since 1986, twin brothers Drs. David and Michael Rothen have been providing superior dental care in a relaxed and comfortable setting for the entire family. The twin dental doctors utilize advanced dentistry techniques from sedation to implants and the latest in cosmetic options to preserve and beautify smiles. Twin Dental, located just off the I-275 exit at Hamilton Avenue. For a complimentary evaluation, 513-825-6111 and online at twindental.com. Pregnancy Center West is committed to protecting the unborn by encouraging women to see and choose the beauty of life while offering practical assistance for them and their families. Donate securely online at supportpcw.org. That's supportpcw.org. Catholic Engaged Encounter Weekends are a marriage preparation program led by married couples and a priest or deacon. What makes this marriage prep program unique is you will have two days as a couple to delve into important subjects that will affect your relationship together for the rest of your lives. More time for prayer and reconciliation and closing the weekend with Mass. More information is at cincinnati-covington.engagedencounter.com. That's cincinnati-covington.engagedencounter.com. This is Cardinal Raymond Burke. Thank you for listening to Sacred Heart Catholic Radio. 740 WNOP Newport, 910 WPFB Middletown, or get the app, stream, podcast, and more at sacredheartradio.com. Sacred Heart Radio is a co-production.